The truth is the future is going to be the same as what it is right now because the one thing that needs to change isn't changing and that's how you think about shit. So what I realized was the only thing that exists in the human experience is right now. So if right now you can't enjoy shit, you are not going to enjoy your future. The moment that you say, fuck it, I'm changing, is the moment that it changes. That was it. I was going to end my life. I was just so angry and I was like bawling my eyes out and I could hardly breathe. And, and then I just, I remember pegging the, the knife across the room and it cut the blinds open and like this light came in. Yeah, I was just like, fuck it, I'm never allowing anyone else to determine my self-worth. It was like, just like a snap in my head. And that was where I realized that I would never, ever allow other people to dictate how I behave in life again. That was the thing that changed everything. Because once I got clear on what I wanted, I had so much certainty in the things that made me talented. I just went out there and I started doing it. And that year we went from 80,000 bucks to 1.2 million bucks. And so that was the thing of everything. Either things work or they don't work. Oh, stop. That's it. It is that fucking simple. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. All right, we're back. Uh, we got an episode that I've been super keen about for ages. Me and Joe have been talking about this for a while. I'm super interested in growth, challenging myself to step out of my comfort zone, level up. Um, so you're the perfect guest for today. We have the master of human performance, Michael Mojo in the house. Now, for those who don't know Michael Mojo, uh, he's the mindset and mental performance coach of some of Australia's top rich listers, athletes and business teams. Um, and you live a pretty sick life now. You drive, you got a couple of supercars in the garage, McLaren uh, 720S, um, which all sounds really fun, Like, but the reason I'm so keen to talk to you is it actually wasn't always like that. It was actually for a lot of your life, particularly the early years of your life, it was the complete opposite. Now I want to we'll get into that journey and unpack, you know, the shit that was your life before it became this. And obviously some of the tools and perspective shifts that you've had um, that helped you change your life. And then thousands and thousands of people's lives around the world. But just so people have a little bit of context about what you do today, uh, you, you do a lot of coaching and consulting to people, but what do, what are the main things that people or businesses come to you to, to get help with and help them level up in their own lives? Uh, people. So people, um, people are complicated, right? But they're also very predictable. And, um, a lot of, a lot of people come to us, whether they're business owners or they're just people that want to perform better. Um, I, I really believe that there's this huge gap in the market at the moment. Like there's, there's a lot of psychology out there. There's a lot of stuff that goes into people's traumas and, and all that type of thing. But um, what I've found over the years is that if you don't have a direction for your future, you're always going to go back to what you know and the past. And I think part of the problem that a lot of people have been bought into or have bought into right now is this idea that they're broken, they're damaged, they've got all this shit going on. And if they heal all that, then their future is going to be better. But they spend their whole life living in the past. Um, and I spoke to someone the other week who's actually a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu back, a black belt, really super successful guy. I've known him for years and he's, he's, I haven't personally worked with him. I've tried to, to work with him, but he's just one of those guys that, you know, he, he sort of figure it out in his own time. And he's like, <laughs> you know, so anyway, he's diving back into his traumas and all that. And I was like, dude, you're talking about, you've studied all this spirituality and, and, and by the way, I'll answer your question in a second. I'm just, yeah, I'm just yeah, no, taking over it. the podcast. Um, but he, uh, you know, he's talking about, you know, the energy that you put out and your vibe and all that. And so he's got this idea of like the energy that you, that you put out is the energy you get back. And I'm like, dude, you've just spoke for like 30 minutes on trauma. Mm. Have you ever thought about that? Like, you know, you've gone into all this spirituality stuff, you're talking about the energy and blah, blah, blah. But then you're also like combining that with trauma. Makes no sense. I see that all the time. 100%. Yep. So what I, I think my skill set and the thing that I do really, really well is create people's futures and help them build it. And I also believe, oh, I was watching a documentary many years ago and I was studying a lot of human behavior, human performance and, and, and all of that. 
And then I had a background as a personal trainer, strength conditioning. I was doing physical rehab in medical centers. And I heard this quote and, and at the time I was sort of trying to figure out how I could build my future so that I could perform better. And, I, and this person was talking about Michelangelo when he created the sculpture of David. And someone asked him, apparently, how do you carve such amazing sculptures? And he said, all I do is I chip away all the rock that's not David. And I went, that's fucking genius because human behavior is essentially, I, I really believe that every human being is born successful. Because if you look at every child, you get a child, you put them in an environment, they want to go outside and play. Mum, dad says, don't go outside and play. Mum looks around, kids outside. What stopped a person going, I want this in life, but it seems too hard? There's a point in our lives where we start giving up on all the shit that we really want. And so what I realized is that if you help people recreate their future again, you bring back that childlike enthusiasm, you use mental performance tools to be able to do that, then people create their future versus going back and trying to live in this past shit. So that's part of what I do. The other part is that when you're talking about business, you're talking about having to deal with other people. And when you bring in other people into your business, you also have to deal with all these past behaviors, these patterns, their values, what's important to them, what they're trying to achieve. And so almost every business owner that I talk to that has staff will complain about staff and staff performance, <laughs> and they all want to get more out of them in some yeah. way, shape or form, right? Yep. So how do you do that? You've got to understand human behavior. So that's when I get called in is how do we build our management teams, leadership teams? And then from there, Every, almost every department in a business is people focused. Like marketing is essentially human behavior. Sales is human behavior. Management, human behavior. Even finance is really human behavior because your profit and loss statement or, you know, even a balance sheet is all human behavior. It's human behavior principles because how you spend money is a human behavior principle. It's a, it's a mindset. It's a psychology. So what, what I love is I just love helping people perform at their best. And that has allowed me to perform at my best as well. So, yeah. Well, it's kind of linked to what we were just chatting about um, off air is like how I was saying, like, and, and it's exactly right. 95% of business is like human performance, whether it be yourself or your team. That's why if you can be successful in one industry, you've got a good chance of being successful in another because of those principles you were just talking about. Now, there's so much we're going to dig into with all that stuff. But before we get to all the awesome growth and everything that you've learned over the years, I want to paint the picture because it's, it's part of your story. It's part of your journey of what life was like for, for a young Michael. Take me back and, and paint the picture for the listeners. What, what was life like going through school? How, how did you fit in? How did, how did, how did that play out for you? <laughs> fit in? That, yeah. that wasn't a word that I used. <laughs> um, I've never thought about it as fitting in. Um, yeah. No, I was, I was like the, the school dropkick and the reject. Um, but I, I remember my, my first experience and my first memory of school was that mum took me to school and it was like the first week of school and she dropped me off and, and we lived just around the corner from the school. So mum walked me down there, dropped me off, waved to me at the gate. I walked into the school and then walked to the back of the oval and sat there until the school bell rang and then walked home. <laughs> so that was my first, <laughs> my first proper memory of school. I just didn't want to be there. From that, um, from right at the start, you didn't want to yep, be there. You knew it was like week one of reception, just wanted to, wanted to be what, back home. What, how did you have that clarity as such a young kid? I didn't, I just, I just knew that I didn't like school. Okay. I, I didn't like the idea of being confined to a classroom where I was told to sit all day. I'm super energetic, right? Like I've never been officially diagnosed with ADHD, but having worked in human performance work, I've worked with a lot of people in the medical industry and, you know, we still get a lot of doctors and people in the mental health industry and um, psychologists and stuff come to our events. And I, I know that if I, if I did the test, I'd be diagnosed with ADHD. Mm -hmm. 
So being put in an environment where I had to sit still all day, I was told what to do, I was told how to think, didn't, didn't work well with me. And I've always been really inquisitive. You know, I remember there was a moment where my parents had a, a shack up in the Riverland where we used to go water skiing and wakeboarding and all that. And I remember they would all get drunk at nighttime because my mum was 17 when she had me, dad was 19. So they, they yeah, still cool young parents, eh? They, they were pretty, now I look back, they, they were really cool. Like yeah. I got to go to parties every weekend, <laughs> yeah. like legitimate parties, big bonfires and like yeah. we everyone rode motorbikes and like, you know, I'm, I, I was in a, a rally team with the Australian junior rally champion because dad was in that, t- that race team. So, you know, it, it was a really awesome environment growing up, but um, yeah, I just remember looking up at the sky and just thinking like, why are we here? And that was from like a young age. And so that inquisitiveness has always driven me, which is probably why I didn't like school. You know, because I wasn't able to ask questions and get proper answers. Yeah. So you'd get in trouble for asking the wrong questions. I, I was the uh, same. Yeah. Pete teachers were like, because they can't answer that because all they know is the syllabus. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. It was always like, why? Yeah. Well, because this is the way that it is. Yeah, but why? Well, because this is the way that it is. Yeah, but why? Michael, go sit outside. Okay. <laughs> and then yeah, I'll just go okay. pick my shit up and go sit outside. Um, so that that was school for me. And then I didn't really fit in with the other kids because Every weekend, my parents were away, like at these parties and stuff. So we, you know, we would travel. We, I mean, we're away every weekend camping or, or doing something. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned, I grew up water skiing and wakeboarding and, and riding motorbikes and stuff. So yeah, we're away every weekend. Whereas all the other kids were playing footy and soccer and and doing all these other sports. So I'd get back to school and I just didn't have a group. Um, I, w- I was friendly with everyone, but I didn't fit in. And um, then. I got up to grade nine at school, got expelled from school. Uh, I, I, there was this kid who used to pick on a heap of kids and I ended up, uh, my parents thought it would be a good idea to put me in boxing classes. Um, bright red hair, freckles, chubby kid, got picked on all the time. And yeah, one day I just unleashed on the, on the school bully and um, yeah, ended up getting expelled from school. So um, I just fell into this massive downhill spiral and, and I guess you could call it depressed where you know, I was sitting there and I thought, I'm always in trouble at home. I'm always in trouble at school. Like, I'm fucking out of here. And, um, yeah, I snuck out to the kitchen one night, grabbed a big kitchen knife, and that was it. I was going to end my life and um, got really angry with myself. I, I remember the night where I, I was just so angry and I was, like, bawling my eyes out and I could hardly breathe. And and then I just – I remember pegging the, the knife across the room and it cut the blinds open and, like, this light came in. And, um, yeah, I was just like – Fuck it. I'm never, I'm never allowing anyone else to determine my self-worth. It was like, just like a snap in my head. And that was where I realized that I would never, ever allow other people to dictate how I behave in life again. So that was sort of like a, my first big turning point. And then from there, um, from there, I went back to school, finished off grade 12. I loved working on cars. Um, you know, I was always tinkering around in the shed. My dad builds custom cars as a hobby. He's a builder by trade. Um, and so, yeah, I, was, I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll become a diesel mechanic. Did my apprenticeship um, about second year in. I just hated it. And I thought, you know, I just want to go and do something different. And I had started training and exercising when I was 13 um, just because I hated the way I looked. In grade five swimming class, I was the only kid who wore a T-shirt because I just hated the way I looked. And so I guess that sort of drives my high value now of like physical appearance and looking after myself and training. Um, so, yeah, I um, – I thought, you know, maybe the gym's the thing that I love. And personal training back then wasn't cool. Like now it's cool. Back then it was like Aussie Bogan walks in, footy shorts, has a smoke outside, throws it out, puts out his like can of VB and then walks into the gym, lifts some weights. That was like personal training back then, you know, and then you had the aerobics people that were the fitness people. And then you had a heap of the, I guess you could say the 1980s, 1990s and 2000s, like Roy boys, the big guys, string of t-shirts. 
Uh, these days it's a bit more cooler, fashionable, but back then it was just, it was a completely different era. And so I walked into the, the local gym and I said, look, how do I, how do I get involved in this? And they said, you can study to be a personal trainer. And I thought, shit, that'd be pretty cool. Like I'd love to learn how to do that. And even though I was pretty shit at school when I got put in special classes and told that I was dyslexic and all that, I really loved learning about training. And so I used to read about the muscles and all this stuff. So I went and applied to become a personal trainer and that scared the shit out of me because school was always the thing that, that I, w- I wasn't good at. And imagine being put in a special classes, told that you were dyslexic, told you couldn't learn, and then now you want to go back to school. So I was scared shitless and it's still like I've got vivid memories of going up and even signing the paperwork to, to become a personal trainer. And back then it was 18 months to become a personal trainer. So wow. you had to, I had to go to night school um, and study. But once I started doing that, I, like I'd finish my, uh, my, my uh, apprenticeship job and then I would go and study at nighttime a couple of nights a week. I was a straight A student there because I found something that I really enjoyed and it sort of clicked a bit of a light bulb that maybe learning is directly related to the things that you enjoy. Like it, the things that you enjoy, you actually learn well, but the things that you don't enjoy, maybe you're not that good at. And so I think everyone has learning difficulties. hundred percent. Yeah. So that was sort of that journey. And then around 21, 22, um, I got a phone call to, to come to the hospital because uh, my best friend at the time, um, he was in a car accident. And so I got to the hospital and he informed me that his three-year-old niece that we used to look after was killed in that car accident. Um, he ended up with severe injuries on his arm. The car flipped and sort of tore all the skin off his arm. So he had to have um, plastic surgery and stuff on his arm um, to put the skin back on. Um and so, yeah, I'm at this funeral and this little white coffin's going to the ground and all of a sudden I was just like, how the fuck can life just be taken away just like that? Like you're here one day and the next day, like, gone. And it was really the first time that I'd really thought about death at that level of like every day we're a day closer. Whether we like it or not, we're all a day closer. And that sort of freaked me out, but it really inspired me at the same time because it was like, shit, if I'm going to wake up tomorrow, how, how do I want to wake up? And I knew sure as shit I did not want to be a diesel mechanic. So I, I sort of finished off part of my apprenticeship and then um, this one day the boss calls me into the office and he said, we're going to sign you off for your apprenticeship because you can do the same job times as everybody else, so we're just going to sign you off. And I put the certificate on the toolbox, felt sick, and I was like, I can't fucking do this. So I walked back in and I'm like, I'm out of here. And I worked for a major trucking company and the boss calls me into the office, he's this little old Italian dude, and he goes, Michael, don't end up like the rest of these fuckers, go do what you love. Wow. And so I walked out there, put my toolbox in the car, go to mum and dad's house, drop it off. Mum bursts into tears. What are you going to do with your life? You know, if you just stick at it for 10 years, you'll have a house, a car, you'll be able to get married, like the whole white picket fence lifestyle, right? And trade 10 years of your life. This is the shit that I can't, I can't trade a month of my life doing something I don't want to do anymore. I've become so just ingrained in, like you said, doing the things you want to do. Once you start doing that, you can never go back. You just got to break that cycle. Yeah. And so mum's all in tears. And I was like, you know, she said to me, there's no money in personal training. No one, you know, no one is ever... No one will ever make it in that industry. And I was like, all right, I'm doing it anyway. So I walked into the gym, said, look, I'll do anything. I'll clean the bathrooms. I'll clean the toilets. Like, just give me an opportunity. I wasn't fully qualified yet. The boss said to me, look, we'll put you on. There's a desk shift available. We'll give you the desk shift. You can help out around a bit. And because I was already training at the gym, I knew a lot of the guys there. After about a month, the boss came to me and he said, I know you're not qualified, but everyone here knows you. Because I, w- I would literally talk to everyone. I knew their kids' names. I just love being in that environment. I was just thriving. So I'd, I'd sit there, talk to all the mums in the morning. I, you know, I'd have coffee with all the old geezers in the, in the mid-morning. Um, and then at the nighttime, I'd go up and train with all the guys and, and all that upstairs. 
And he said, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the women that are asking if you'll train them because they know you're a trainer and you're giving them advice and you're helping them. Now, if you don't tell anyone you're not qualified, why don't you just start? And I was like, I'm in. Yeah. So that was the start of it. And then from there, I helped build a franchise system and I went around and, and I started training other personal trainers about, um, you know, volume and intensity. And, and that was like not a thing back then. Now, you know, you hop on TikTok, everyone talks about this yeah. stuff. But back then it wasn't. It was like, you just go in the gym, you lift a heap of heavy shit and you take a heap of gear or you sort of go on there and have no idea what you're doing. Or you go into an aerobics class and jump up and down and do this shit for a couple of hours. Um, there wasn't there wasn't much science behind it, um, and that's where I started integrating with the medical industry. Uh, I worked with a couple of physios, and they they would teach me, and I'd go in and, and do some work with them as well to, to to learn about the body more. I eventually got headhunted by Fitness First when they came to South Australia, and they said, um, you know, we want you here. So I left and worked for them. Studied a whole bunch of stuff. I just kept studying the whole way through. So I'd spent a couple hundred thousand on study, like studying nutrition and and um, rehab and a whole bunch of different things. And then I got poached by a medical center. And so I worked about three, three and a half years in a medical center. Um, and that's where I realized that everyone knows what to do. They just don't fucking do it. And that's where the light bulb went off. And I was like, shit, it's all what happens up in here. There's all these people that come in every day and they go, the physio gave me these exercises. And I'm like, are you doing them? Oh, well, sort of. And I'm like, no, you're fucking not. Yeah. And so it clicked. Everyone knows what to do. They just don't fucking do it. And then my question was, why? That's what led me to sit in with a psychologist at the medical center and say, why do all these things happen? And a lot of the time she couldn't give me answers. And I was like, because of my background as a mechanic, there was always a reason why something happened. So when, um, because I was working for Caterpillar, which were a major, uh, you know, I mean, Caterpillar, the big yellow trucks and stuff. If an engine broke, like it, let's say the, there was an engine blew up, we would pull that whole engine apart and you would search. And then if something was broken, you go, well, why did that break? So you do engine oil testing, you've got to check, you know, for metal fatigue, they would go to the nth degree to try and figure out why that engine broke because they had to. When I went into the medical industry or when I went into the health industry, it was just like, well, this person's got depression. I'm like, why? Well, because they've just got a chemical imbalance. And I'm like, yeah, but why? Well, it's just the way that it is. And I was like, I don't like that answer. That's not good enough. There's got to be a reason. So that's what led me to start studying human behavior mindset and then it just opened up and, and sort of yeah all right guys just quickly i've got some news i've spent close to the past 18 months building the ultimate program that takes you through the complete process and i mean the complete process of launching and scaling your very own e-commerce brand from zero all the way up to a million dollars plus per year. And now with this program, what you're going to get access to is 15 modules with over 100 training videos and 23 hours of in-depth content, taking you through everything you need to know to build a successful e-com brand. And this is the important part. This isn't just stuff that you can look up on YouTube. This is stuff I've taken from real lessons and experiences building Happy Skin Co. from zero all the way up to an eight-figure per year brand. You're going to get access to loads of custom tools, templates, and calculators that I've used to build and run Happy Skin Co. There's going to be one-on-one -on -one mentoring with myself and other expert coaches. And there's also weekly group Q&A calls with myself to make sure you're feeling completely supported throughout the entire process. And now what I've learned from consulting to everyone from people starting their very first e-commerce brand all the way up to brands already doing seven figures plus per year is that there's a process and a framework to follow if you want to be successful with e-com. Now, if this is something you're interested in, hit the link below and go to join.viralbrandbuilder.com. All the information's there and you can book a call directly with me. Otherwise, send me a DM and we can chat there. Anyway, let's get back to the pod. Look, there's so many things I, I want to ask you from that. I want to take take you back a couple of questions that, that came to mind when you were talking. I feel like 
uh, the type of person you are, you would have you know had some ideas about these. Now, talk, you spoke about the, the school. There's a couple of things I want to speak about about school. Now, I don't know what your life plans are. Let's say hypothetically you wanted to have kids, right? Now you know how bad schools can be for, for a lot of kids. It's a cookie cutter system that doesn't take into consideration strengths, weaknesses, interests of the kids. What would you do differently if you were going to put your kids through school or if you, if you could set out a better way for kids to learn so they don't get so programmed in this way to, you know, just fit into the system? Oh, you just sacrifice 10 years of your life to a job you hate so you can have a property or two. Yep. What would you do differently? That's an amazing question. Um, shit, that's, that's a curveball because part of the reason why Jess and I haven't had kids is there are just so many things that I don't know that I want to tackle yet. Mm. And I think the schooling system is one of those. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there are things that based on my values, I enjoy. And at the moment, kids aren't one of those things. Um, I enjoy looking after my niece and nephew and hanging out with them a bit, um, especially now they're getting a bit older, but um, that hasn't sort of been a primary focus of mine. As far as schooling goes, um, you know, I'm, I, I just want to make clear I'm not a parent, so I don't like to give parenting advice to people because I, I think it's like, I understand human behavior and I understand how kids operate most of the time. But again, parenting is a completely different thing. And like a business, it's you can give people generic business advice, but at the same time, when you're caught up in the when you're caught up in the moment, the way you react and deal with things is completely different. That's another one of you know what to do. You're just not doing it right. Yeah, and and so I, I think, you know, because I'm not a parent, I, I don't like to give that advice because yeah. the reactions that you have are going to be based on your past and how you deal with things and your values and 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 so on. But what I would say is that in order to achieve optimum growth in human behavior, all humans need a symmetry of uh, challenge and also some chaos. Then they have to organize that chaos. So part of, you know, in our own lives, as we grow, things become chaotic and then we structure it and then it becomes chaotic and then we structure it and that's called growth. So the child needs chaos and has to develop its own way of structuring things around them. It also needs to have um, stress because stress promotes growth. And it also needs pressure because pressure creates expansion. And that's just their, their universal principles. Well, the growth principle is one of earth, but you know, as a universal law, anything with pressure, it creates an expansion. So the child needs pressure, stress. It needs chaos around it, but it also needs to then figure out how to create order around it. Um, and anytime a child is oversupported, it becomes weak and fragile and it can't handle stress and pressure. But if you give it too much stress and pressure, it becomes overwhelming and, and then the child just falls apart. The same as any, any human being, right? So parenting is how do you give the child enough stimulation, enough chaos, but enough structure in order to feel safe, just like every human, right? Tricky balance, right? It is. And that's, that's part of life. Like as a business owner, I look back at some of the things that I've done with staff where you know, I'll put up with their shit for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and then all of a sudden I just fly off the handle and then they resign and they go, here's a prick. But I'm like, okay, here's a prick. But at the same time, it's been mentioned like 20 fucking times that you're not doing your job properly and you're not doing anything about it. And so now one day I was passive and then I became aggressive. And so that was my, my, me trying to figure out where my balance is between how I deal with people. Yeah. Now I just do it straight away. Like, you know, I'm quite firm with people. This is what I need. This is how we do it. I'm here to help. But at the same time, this is your job. So I need to get it done. Yeah. And that's, and that's a skill. Like un having uncomfortable conversations isn't something that a lot of people enjoy. Some people have that gene where it's fine with them. But for me, it's definitely something that I've had to learn and develop. I still don't enjoy. I'm better at doing it. Yep. Um, but like I said, I don't, I'm not good at doing things that I want to do. Yeah. But I feel like that was a skill that there was no getting around. I wanted to have as a, as a, 
as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as someone who, who wants to do a lot of epic shit, you're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations. So that was a big part of my growth journey as well. Now, one thing I wanted to ask from, cause I can, I, when you speak, obviously people relate it to their own experiences. And now again, I could probably relate to your experience in, in a way I was red hair, freckles, and it's not that I didn't fit in. I, I always did, did, did okay. Cause I was like sporty and good at, good at that. But like, you just have this mindset wide for protection when you're in school, like you just want to survive. Right. And surviving looks different for everyone. But for me, what always has got me through the tough moments was, was like a goal. Okay. Cause if I'm not really happy where I'm here, where am I going? And I just think about that and that'll get me through. What was getting you through those moments? Cause it was like, so many years that like you went back and finished school. What got you through school back then? Because like you said, you thought very differently from a young age. It's a ripper question. Uh, I don't know. Cause um, I, I don't know. I don't know that I was that self-aware back then. Like I wasn't a self-aware person. Um, yeah. So I that's think, all come later. Yeah. My self-aware, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always working on my self-awareness. I mean, that's why I journal most days because I think like in order, in order to change something, you've got to be aware of the thing in the first place. And I think most people, when they start to become aware of something, try to hide it or they try to suppress it or whatever. And so then their life just ends up on repeat. Like a lot of the people that I deal with, these are people that may have known me for three to four years. And then they end up in one of my events. And I'm like, why are you here? And they're like, well, wife left, business is fucked. You know, this has happened and I'm almost broke. And I'm like, cool. I wish I could have helped you four years ago. (laughs) But, you know, it's just sometimes people need a lot of pain in order for in order to become more aware. And I think over time, the more self-aware you become, the easier it is to fix things and you can do it a lot faster and you move faster. But sometimes people just need a good sledgehammer. Yeah. They just need to be smashed. Like the rock um, bottom moments, right? Or like getting, like they're the easiest things to trigger real change now. Okay. For you, you've had that experience. A couple of things that seems like from the outside looking in was the catalyst. It was the moment with with your, your friend's niece and it was the moment where you got into the the diesel mechanic industry you work in there and you realize the culture was you know people hate their job and again same experience i don't i never want to seem like i'm a corporate basher in any way shape or form but you walk into any corporate office and tell me 85% of the people at a minimum do not want to be there yep golden they don't want to be there exactly so it's yep. not that i'm fucking hating on them there's some people that truly do love it but most people i've worked there I can't wait to like, you know, clock off and go grab beers. Oh yeah. Fuck. Oh, it's Monday. Like hump day. Like, bro, what is that? Is why do you want to live like that? So it's just something I'm very conscious of, but you've made those decisions. You want to change your life for the better and help other people. There's no university degree in self-development. Yep. How do you actually start? Like where, where do you start? How do you develop yourself up and learn all these things? I don't know. I've always just gone with the flow. Like, so well, when I say always from when I became more self-aware, so for me, my journey was I, I got, when, when I started studying personal training, I just noticed that there were just so many different facets of it and you could be good at lots of different things. And like I said, back in the old days, it wasn't like it is now, you know, you didn't have strength and conditioning and you didn't have nutrition and people weren't talking about like performance like they are now. You know, I, th- I find it so awesome that I can hop on TikTok and there is just so much content out there from really highly skilled personal trainers that are working in the industry. Back in those days, that was like, I mean, right now, people online have probably more knowledge than what I think a lot of the medical and health industry, like including physiotherapists had back then around performance, which I find is really cool. Um, so I just start like back then I, I was doing the personal training stuff. I remember watching this, there was a, a documentary that we got shown when uh, I, I think I was, I started doing my diploma in fitness and 
they showed us something on uh, in psychology and it was like these monks or whatever were, they were testing them. They were in the snow and all that shit. And they, they were like checking their heart rate and they were talking about their mindset. And I was like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Why are we watching this? Like, I just want to go and lift weights and like learn about muscles and stuff. And so I remember it, it's weird that it's etched into my mind because it was such an important moment that I think it, it sort of like burned its way in my mind about how ignorant I was around how important the mindset is. But it also makes me, it helps me to relate to other people when you talk about mindset, like you go to business owners and we work with a lot of tradies and you go to them and they're like, oh, business is fucked. Staff are fucked. They're fucked. And, and you just listen to their shit, right? And you try to help them, but they just can't see it. And I remember back then how ignorant I was back then of the mindset stuff. But what I started doing was I just started learning about a whole heap of different things. And, and I was studying through, I was doing some work with an institute called the Czech Institute back then, uh, Paul Czech. And he was sort of like a holistic guy. He's a, he's a bit out there and a bit different now, but um, he was quite good as a strength conditioning guy. Then I realized that nutrition played such an impact. So I studied that. Then I went, okay, now there's physical injury. So I got to go and study injury rehab. And I started studying kinesiology. And then that's when I started getting into um, talking with the psychologist and finding out like more information about the mindset. And I really didn't know a lot. So my first course that I did on mindset was NLP back like, 13, 14 years ago now. So I did a mastery program in NLP. Then I went and did another mastery program. And then I did a third one. So I did three different master programs in NLP. The worst thing was what I realized about that industry, unfortunately, is that they were all teaching the same shit. So they would all say our course is the best. And you go to that course and they're essentially teaching the exact same content. All they'd done is they just changed the like it was like Michael's NLP and, or, you know, and, and they all said that they were the best, but they were almost exactly the same. Like I can get the manuals and put them next to each other and they're almost the same. Then I realized there was this industry, there was a, a leader in the industry that was certifying all these people to go out and train other people. And so everyone was just putting their own brand on it and saying it was theirs. Then they would all do the same stuff. They'd all go to Tony Robbins and they'd add a little bit of Tony Robbins in there. <laughs> um, and, you know, now you see a lot of people with dispensers, Dr. Joe dispensers work in there. Yep. Um, so I started studying down that path. So I got into the NLP stuff first. Um, then I, I, I was really inquisitive. And so I wanted to know, is this stuff really true? So I really started studying more in depth. So, so I would hop online, even back in the old internet days, and I'd Google like, okay, what research is out there about eye patterning? Uh, have you done NLP before? Or, never. So they say that your eyes move in different directions, depending on where you're storing information. You can sort of tell whether a person's lying or not. By I've done a movements. bit of training on that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the truth is, is from my understanding and, and, you know, there might be someone out there who can reach out to me if they've got any data on it, but from the research that I've seen, there's no scientific evidence that actually proves that that's true yet. They still teach it. Right. And, and we're talking about something that was created. I believe NLP was, uh, first started coming around, uh, I think it was in the seventies. So they're still teaching it today with the same stuff from the seventies and everyone still says that it's true, but no one really does research to find out if it is now. NLP, I love it because it talks a lot about communication and question asking and all that. And I think that's super powerful. So the language part of it, the, the linguistics, fantastic, providing you use it. But a lot of the other stuff, like the techniques, they have another thing called timeline therapy. If you actually understand how the brain works and, and how timelines work in the brain, it makes no sense. It's, it's, there's no scientific evidence out there, yet people using timeline therapy like it's, you know, it, it, it works and it doesn't. Um, so there was just a whole bunch of weird shit out there. And then, so I was studying that, but then I got into the spirituality stuff. So I'm, I'm next second, I'm got, I've got crystals and I've got, fucking, <laughs> I'm, I'm fanning all this, um, smoking shit around the house. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing all that stuff. Um, and then 
after a while, I think, you know, Jess and I went through that stage where, where we're sort of, we're, we're doing all this energy stuff and, and breath work and everything. And, and this is like you know, 10 years ago now. Um, and I was like, you know what, life's just still fucked. It hasn't, it hasn't changed. So I'd done all this work, but we weren't getting the results in our business. We weren't making good money. Jess had left her corporate career to come and work with me in this, in this business. Um, and then, then what I realized, like the big breakthrough for me was, I remember going and doing all these different programs and I won't mention any of the authors or, or any of the people that I've studied under, but um, unless it's beneficial, but we'd, we'd gone and done this event or all these events. I'd traveled around. I'd done like heaps of the Tony Robbins mastery programs and all that back in the day. And I'm still at rock bottom. Like I've hit, I've, I used to have these huge highs and then these huge crashes. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm beating myself up. I feel guilty. I'm ashamed because I'm working so hard and we're still not producing income. My family, my last year as a personal trainer, I made, uh, I think it was $265,000 and we're talking like 11 years ago. So that was like big back in the day. I mean, it's still decent, but these days, I mean, PTs can make you know millions online. So, you know, I, I'd left that and my, I finally got my mum's approval. She's like, this is my son because she'd seen some <laughs> of my work in magazines and stuff. Of course. Um, and then I leave that and my mum bursts into tears again. What are you going to do? You know, no one goes to coaches. That's not even an industry. It's not a real thing. Like you don't have a university degree. No one's going to go listen to you. So this whole thing happens again. We're three years in, still haven't made any fucking money, not proper money. And I'm like, what's going on? And I remember going to a cafe down near our house and I sat there and I had all these amazing tools, like all this stuff that I'd learned. And I sat there and for the first time, I built a map for my life, a success map of what I really wanted, why I wanted it, how I was going to get there, the traits that I needed, everything, like it was super detailed. That event now is our Thrive Time event. But that was like my success map. And that was the thing that changed everything. Because once I got clear on what I wanted and I knew my skill sets, I had, I had so much certainty in the things that made me talented. I just went out there and I started doing it. And that year we went from 80,000 bucks to 1.2 million bucks in, in a 12-month period. Crazy. Um, and so that was a thing that flipped everything. And so that's, yeah. One thing for me, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that probably over the last few years, I haven't been seeking those sorts of... Um, like the seminars and events, those sorts of, you know, method, like putting myself in those situations for growth. I did a lot before I started business and early on. And then as everyone does, you know, you get busy. Not that I, I still learn and obviously have these podcasts. I, I still seek a lot of knowledge. But like the big thing that turns me off going to a lot of them, like me and Joe will talk about some as well. And, and doing my research upon, like into you, I, I feel like you, you probably feel the same way. Like you look at these groups and it's everyone's jumping up, high-fiving and hugging. And then it's all about, it's like they bring people in just to like do the shadow work and make people cry. I'm like, if I walk into a room and spend my time and it's just people crying and sobbing and doing all that stuff the whole time, I'm going to leave feeling depressed. I'm going to leave feeling worst. How do you structure the, the stuff that you put together, these, these courses, these seminars, that, like you said, the four or five days, 12 hours per day at least. How do you structure this stuff to like actually help people grow and just not sit like you got to recognize, sure, that the, I know there's people that will, their whole thing is about past traumas and, and doing that sort of shadow work. But how do you structure things? Like what changed for you? How did you figure out a process that can actually get results for people rather than just dwelling on the emotion of the negative past life experiences? Uh, self-awareness, number one. So the more self-aware you become, the more you realize it doesn't work and it's bullshit, number one. So you tried that stuff like oh, for yeah. multiple years? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still, I, I mean, look, we, I, I've done... Stuff that's cool now, I was doing like 10 years ago. So like Wim Hof, I remember when when stuff first came out, it was like 
what, about eight years ago or something. I'm, I'm asking Jess because she she's more detailed than I am. So she gets the detailed stuff. I'm, I'm a big pitch person. But it was like eight years ago. So, you know, I, I was doing it back then. Um, the, the dispenser work, like I remember him back like the old school, like Louise L. Heydays. I used to go to those events and, and I remember seeing dispenser back then with Deepak Chopra and all that. And so like now, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I got drunk with him in Mexico on tequila. Um, so he's actually a really interesting guy. Um, yeah, and his head researcher wanted me to invest in one of his companies. So like I've gone through a lot of that stuff. Like I'm I'm not, I, I try not to be too rigid. Like I, I always have a thing of like, I only know what I know. And a lot of the stuff that I think that I know, I probably don't know. So I just keep an inquisitive mind. Like something could work, but I want to find out. And I think that that's the best way. Like the most intelligent people that I come across are always inquisitive. It's hard to sell though, because when people ask me questions, they want a black and white answer, but it's hard to, to give a real response because it could be black or it could be white or it could be gray. It could be somewhere like everything scales. Like if you study human perception, human perception is a scale. So like when someone says it's hot compared to what, because it's comparative, right? Hot is like, is it a hundred degrees? Is it like 40 degrees? Like a hot shower isn't the same as like, a hot cup of tea, but a hot cup of tea is not the same as lava. So like it's, we have these scales of perceptions. Someone says it's a bad day compared to what the kid in Africa that can't get water and shit. Like, so humans make these generalizations and these assumptions based on a perception that they have, but that perception may be completely true depending on their frame of reference and the scale that they're comparing it to and their own past experiences. So coming back to part of the question, and just some stuff that was pop, popping up in my mind. The the way that I, I started figuring a lot of this stuff out is if you are if you're self aware and you ask the right questions, it opens up a bit of a Pandora's box for you to explore. But you've got to keep asking really good questions. And the truth is that most people give statements and really shit questions. So after working with tens of thousands of people, the reason why most people get stuck and they have vicious cycles is statements and really shit questions versus really good questions. And good question asking is a really high level skill that most people don't develop. So when someone says to me, my life's crap, well, great statement, because that's an absolute, right? Whereas if someone says, why is my life so crap? It's a question and it opens up your mind where a statement will just shut, it, shut down your thinking. So my life's crap, job done, don't need to think about it anymore, right? Your brain goes back to sleep. You ask a shitty question. Why is my life so crap? Well, because I'm a loser, because I eat like shit. I treat my body like shit. I had a bad family. So now you start going down this dark hole. Whereas if you ask, how can I improve the quality of my life? Good question. Now we're moving in a better direction. So because how most people frame their own internal languaging and how they speak and everything like that normally dictates how they figure shit out in their own life. So I just became more self-aware, started asking better questions just really started trying to figure out like what works and what doesn't work. And I started studying clients over a long period versus like a lot of those events. Say you go to an event and you get all revved up and, and most people don't even really think through this. Anytime you're elated and excited, you overset your competencies. So if you're pumped and you set a goal, you're essentially setting yourself up for a massive amount of failure and disappointment. Because if, if I get all revved up right now and I get super excited, I go, I can achieve I can achieve big goals in short timeframes because that's what your brain does when it's elated. And then if you're depressed, it's the opposite. You essentially, sorry, you decrease your skill sets and you go, oh, I'm just crap at everything. I'm just bad. And so you, you lower your skill sets 
and then you expand the time you go, it's going to take forever. So depending on whether you're elated or depressed emotionally depends on how well you set goals. The best way to set goals is being balanced and neutral. So a lot of people go to these events, they get elated, they get all pumped up and they go, I can take on the world. I'm going to build my first million dollar business in 12 months. But if you ask them a question, have you ever built a million dollar business? No. What'd you make last year? Oh, 70. Okay. So you made 70 K last year and you're going to go from 70 to a mil. How are you going to do it? Oh, I'm just going to work really, really hard and it'll happen. Like everything, you know, everything happens for a reason. They give you all these like cool ideas, but they don't really have a game plan. And so they're setting themselves up for failure. 12 months goes past. They realize they haven't achieved it. They beat themselves up. They feel insecure and they make themselves feel like shit. It lowers their self-worth. It devalues them. Now they lose their confidence. And then, then they go to the event again. They get all fist pump the air and, you know, high five everyone. So that doesn't work long-term. In the, the, the right context, right place, right time. For like maybe. a percentage of people, they will, right? But it's, yeah. you've got the data of working with tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And, that, and again, I don't like, when I said what I said before, that's me based off my experience, based on being self-aware about how I feel after doing certain things. Yep. Can work for certain people, but that's when it's like really important to be brutally honest with yourself. Mm. If you realize you're stuck in that perpetual cycle that you just explained, maybe you need to try something different. Yeah. And there was something, um, I, I know I'm probably getting stuck on this question, but it's, it's actually, I think, a really good question. If you're going back and you're trying to deal with traumas and all these past problems as well, which you know, I, I think the question sort of you know, was going down that path. If you're going back and you're dealing with all these past traumas, you have to then make an assumption that your past is bad. What about if it's there for you? So what about if the past is actually a benefit to you versus a disadvantage? So when people go and do all this trauma work and all that, they, they're making an assumption that it's a bad thing. What if it's a good thing? You just never looked at it that way. So for me, I grew up with a mum who's very driven. I mean, she was 17, had a kid in a Catholic family with my old man who's like bogan, atheist. Um, you know, yeah, he's, I mean, yeah, my, my, dad, my dad's pretty chilled, whereas mum's, I think my mum is very much like me, very driven, very determined, um, probably highly insecure as well. And, and that's why she works so hard is, is to prove her point in the world, probably same as me. So for my mum, she, she was pretty tough to deal with as a kid. You know, no matter what score I got at school or whatever, it was never good enough. And so she just pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. When I used to go and do a lot of the work where I thought that I was damaged and broken, all it did was it made me feel like shit and I had someone else to blame for the reason why I didn't get the results that I wanted. When I realized that my mum had made me super strong, I'm super mentally tough. I don't let down, right? So like there have been multiple times in my life where I've been cornered, like where you're like, what, what are we going to do here? Are we going to, and I've worked with some pretty tough people as well. What are we going to do here? Are we going to like, are we going to keep going down this path? Are we going to have the breakthrough or are we going to get in a fist fight? Like, what is it? But I'm not backing down. You know, I had a guy probably about a year ago who came to me and we got to a point and he's like, I'm sick of you asking me these fucking questions. Like, I don't have the answer. And I said, you've got the fucking answer. I just need, I, I need the answer. And it was a strategy that he had, like most people. If you ask them a question, they say, I don't know. That's normally a reaction. They haven't even had time to think. So in my events, I'll say, okay, you know, what's the answer to this? And someone goes, I don't know. How do you have, like, you literally didn't even give your time brain to acknowledge the question. So that's a reaction. It's a response. It's a safety mechanism, probably from school to avoid embarrassment or whatever. So 
I'm holding him accountable because he's got to have this breakthrough. He's, he's fucking up his whole life. And he said, um, if you keep going down this path, it's going to, one or two things are going to happen. We're going to end up having fight or I'm going to leave. And I said, either way, you know that you gave up on you, but I never gave up on you. So what do you want to do? We can sit the fuck down and we can do this. You can leave, but I never gave up on you. You gave up on you and that's the problem. And he sat down, answered the question, and we got, the, we got through. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't have a mum as tough as what I had. So my point is that it, it depends on our reference of how we start. If we see that our past is this trauma and trauma is bad, and because of that now I've got things to blame for the reason why I'm not stepping up, then that's cool. But is that giving you your future that you want? When I ask most people that question, they go, no. So if the answer is no, then why do we keep using it? And there's got to be benefits to it. If I can blame something outside of me, then I don't have to look within. If I can keep justifying why I don't have results, then I don't have to deal with maybe my own internal, my own internal ideas around what I have to achieve and who I have to be. I was talking to someone uh, only about two days ago, very successful business owner, probably does 20, 30 million a year in turnover in his business. I won't say what the business is, um, but he flew down a couple of weeks ago to work with me um, just due to some, some uh, he, he was getting really bad anxiety and um, panic attacks. So he flew down uh, to work with me, did the work, and I spoke to him about a week ago. And he said something really interesting. He said, since doing the work, I realized that I actually had a strategy and excuse to not do shit that I didn't want to do. So isn't it interesting that as humans, we have strategies to avoid putting us in situations that we either don't want to be in or to keep us safe. And I think that most people's idea around their past and mental health and all that is strategy. Mm. Now, if he'd gone to a doctor, he would have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or something like that. Would medication help? Probably. But would it, would it potentially cause him a lot of negatives in his life? When I showed him how to work through it and why he was getting them, he was able to nav- navigate that and he realized that certain situations he doesn't want to be in and other things he just didn't have skill sets. And he was feeling out of control because his business is growing quite big and now he's dealing with different types of people who have different levels of skills and he's not used to dealing with that. So he would panic before he'd go into those situations. Like, I guess another way of phrasing what we've been talking about as well, and, and I guess it's like the language is a big thing about how we relate to things. Now, when I think about like past traumas, like we were just speaking about, I'm, I, can't, I try and tend to take, and, and I genuinely do, and I've said this multiple times on the podcast, it's life is happening for me, not to me. And everything that happens to you is a blessing because it made you who you are today and you can choose that, but that's the way I think. Yep. And sometimes it's, you know, I got to check myself and be like, that's the way I think. I understand that it's not as easy for everyone else to think like that. But as someone, like, like you said, thought you were dumb, you didn't fit in. Like there was a lot of things going against you. Didn't necessarily have the easiest childhood. How did you start uh, identifying that subconscious patterns in, in your behavior as you started growing, you know, more and more as you, as you explored all, all of this new information, as you went deep, like how did you yourself Un- like unwire some of these patterns that have been ingrained in you over years and years and years, because it's that, that sometimes it's just the awareness piece. Right. But yep. what was it for you? Um, I mean, it, it's a tough question because there's like multiple layers. So I think firstly, the first thing was, I, I, I think like I'm a bit of a simple guy. 
right? I try not to make things complicated. And that's the cool thing is like, we'll get medical doctors who come through and they go, shit, the way that you explain things is so simple. You've taken something really complex and made it really simple. We, we can have a medical doctor sitting next to a tradie who was kicked out of school at 13 and I can explain it in a way that they both understand it. So the first thing, the first way that I started thinking that really shifted, and, and I think this is important for everyone, either things work or they don't work. Full stop. That's it. It is that fucking simple. So, right, cool. You're going to meditate for an hour a day, seven days a week. Does it work or does it not work? Now, if the answer is yes, cool, keep doing it. If, if it stops working, like I have heaps of people come to me and they're like, I try to meditate, but like my brain goes fucking crazy and I, I try to sit there and shit's going on everywhere and like I start freaking out and I'm like, just don't do it. Yeah, but, you know, I want calm and wine. There's other tools. Just don't use that tool yet. Does meditation work? Yes, for certain people in certain environments. Are there better tools? I believe so. But it could work. Do I meditate? Every now and again but not a lot because there are better tools out there. I think like one of the tools that I created is something called the process potential and it balances out charges within the brain. And there's a whole bunch of science that I put behind it. It took me years to study this. Um, but what it will do is it'll balance out the charge perceptions within the brain because like, I, I, I don't like positive thinking because if you just study basic physics, anytime there's a positive charge, it attracts a negative charge in order to stabilize in chemistry electrons and protons are moving out of, out of um, the atom in order to try to stabilize. And on one side, you've got things that are volatile. So if you go to hydrogen, it's very volatile. Whereas if you go to the far right, it's called a noble gas. Things that are noble are stable. So if you want to be a noble person, you need to be stable, which then means you need to have balanced charges within your brain versus being super reactive because you're, you've got a lot of charge. So anyway, let me know if I'm going way off track here. No, but, no. Um, so you know, you've got, you've got these basic fundamental principles um, that, I, like, I, I think that either, just coming back to it, because I don't want to go too far off track, but either things work or they don't work. And if you just start with that principle and you ask yourself, is this working? The answer is either yes or no. It's that simple. So start there. Then the next thing is, right, how can I, how can I ask better questions about my life? And that's how I use a journal. So, you know, I think a lot of people think the journal is like this dear diary thing and you know, when people think about journals, like I get a lot of blokey blokes come to our events, you know, tradies and stuff like that. They, they do a lot of our business courses. Um, they come in on like journal and they're like, oh yeah, my, my daughter's got one of those. And I was like, it's just a notepad. And they're like, oh, oh, I thought it was like a little lock on it and shit like that. I was like, dude, forget that. It's just a notepad. So I carry it everywhere in my bag. I, I never go, I very rarely go anywhere without a, without a notepad. And I just journal in there. So, you know, I might write down after this podcast, you know, did I do well? Did I explain myself well? What could have I done better? What could I improve? Um, Jess and I sat down the other week and we just asked four basic questions. And it's, um, what do we need to do more of? What do we need to do less of? What do we need to start doing? And what do we need to stop doing in order to achieve the goals that we want? And if you just check in with that, you start getting a better self-assessment. So then you can start to look at, right, there are some things that aren't where I want to be. If we go through a basic question asking strategy, which is, First of all, what do I want? So we ask what first, what do I want? Then from there, the next question is, um, well, I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Most people go, what do I want? And then they go, how do I do it? Really shit strategy. Because if you knew how to do it, you'd already have what you wanted. So we go, what do I want? The next question is why, why do I want it? 
because most of the time, most people think that they want things, but they don't really want them, but they never ask, why do they want it? So if you go, what do I want? Why do I want it? Then the next question is the time frame. So when do I want it by? Because that's going to change the goal. Then we go through and we go, who can help? So it's a who question. And then finally, how? Now we start with, what do I want? Why do I want it? So now you're getting the intention behind it. Then we're getting the time frame. Then we're getting the people around us who are probably more skilled, more intelligent, and already have the skills that we need. And then now we're asking how, but you've already got the team of people around you to help you to do it. That Just that strategy alone is so much more effective than just going, what do I want? I want to make more money. Okay. How do I do it? Like, Fuck, I don't know. Or if you knew you'd already have it, right? So you need to build a team of people. You need to ask, is that really what I want? Am I prepared to do it? Is this just a fantasy or is this actually something that I'm prepared to work towards? As you know, with your businesses, it's about the work that you put in every day. The outcome is just the work. But most people want the outcome. They don't want the work, right? That's just a really fucking shitty strategy for life, right? I want to have a wicked body. Well, we need to go to the gym. We need to eat better, blah, blah. I don't want to do that. Well, then you don't really want a good body. I want to have a million-dollar business. Okay, cool. You want a million-dollar business? We need to build long hours. You've got to learn how to work with people. You know, you're going to have to push harder. You're going to have to do things. People are going to criticize and judge you no matter what you do. Are you prepared for that? Oh, no, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. The question of why, and, and I think the first question that some people struggle with truly in terms of big, big picture is what do I want? And not do I want in, that, in this moment, everyone can say that, but truly, and something that gets thrown around a lot is purpose, people looking for purpose, you know, yep. that magical thing. What, do you have any sort of framework or questions you get people to ask themselves so they can help starting to figure out maybe not their purpose, but what's, what's much more closely aligned to what they should be doing on this planet? Yep. So that's the Mojo success map, right? That's, that's my Thrive Time event because what I realize is most people fuck up because they only get parts of, parts of the equation. So in that event, the first thing that we do is we get you clear of what really fulfills you because no matter what you do, you're going to have to commit to it. Now, if something is unfulfilling, then you're not going to really commit to it. You're going to be off and on all the time. So I think more important than anything is what really fulfills me. So the first way that we do that is we get clear with your values. That's the most important thing. Step number one is values. Because with your values, that's what makes you unique. I can try to be other people, but I'm living in planted values, which create all the internal noise, the doubt, the judgment, the guilt, all that shit all comes through people, other people's implanted values. So. You know, earlier I spoke about uh, that quote of Michelangelo, David, right? We chip away all the rock that's not David. Um, did I say that on the podcast did, or was that just us talking? I was like, I can't remember whether this was, <laughs> was a pre-chat or not. Um, but um, so, you know, we've got, to, we've got to chip away all the rock that's not, that's not you. So you've got all these implanted values from a young age. Mum and dad saying, don't do that. Don't touch that. You need to go to school. And then you go to school and the teacher says, don't do this, don't do that. And so after a while, you go to make a decision. And your brain's like, yeah, but what are they going to think? What are my friends going to think? What are my family going to think? You know, I want to drop out of uni, but, you know, I'm going to upset mum. They're all implanted values. So most people that, that I come across don't even know how to make a decision for themselves. Every week, I, I listen to it. Business owners are the worst for it. I know I need help. I'm reaching out because I need help. I'm not where I want to be. I'm frustrated because staff aren't working. I'm trapped in the business. I'm working 100 hours a week. Cash flow sucks. I'm fucking stressed. Then I get home. My partner goes mental because they want me at home with the kids. I'm not there. They're pissed off. Life's just shit for me at the moment. Okay, cool. Here's what we need to do. 
oh, I better go and ask my wife or my husband. And I'm like, the fuck is wrong with you? You're a business owner. You make decisions, right? If, if, they're, if they're the one who's going to make this decision, they should be running the business, right? So the first thing is that they can't, most people can't make a decision because they don't actually don't know who they are. That's values. The second thing is purpose is the why. And most people who can't, most people go to find their purpose. It's not actually their purpose. I would say that 99% of people who come to our event and say, um, I've done my values, I know my values. Once I actually go through, and I spend probably half a day talking about values alone. Um, Jess and I were actually just working on a, a thing. I've got a couple of talks just on business performance. And the whole talk is on values and how to understand staff's values. Just even in interviews, you can do it in like, Probably two minutes. If I have a chat with someone, I can pick up their values just like that. And, and there's ways of doing that. So you get your, if you want to get your purpose clear, you won't actually get your purpose clear until you get your values clear, full stop. And so most people who say, oh, I, I can't get my, my purpose clear, it's because they actually don't know their values yet. And so when they're trying to get their purpose, they're actually using implanted values, which is other people's perceptions to try to drive their behavior. This is why 56% of businesses fail in four years. And the last time I looked up the statistic, I think it's 86 or 88% of businesses never hit $2 million a year in revenue. Now, why is that the case? And uh, sorry, I think it's 90, 92% and it's 80 something, 86% or 80 something percent. They don't have more than four staff. So essentially you've got a self-employed individual with maybe one or two other people. Like if we look at a trade-based business, they might have one apprentice, two other people working for them. That's most businesses in this country. Why? Because most people actually don't want a business. They want the outcome, which is I want to be able to have holidays, make decisions when I want, and I want the cash. But are they going to work for it? Are they committed to it? Is that really the purpose? Is that what drives their behavior? And the answer is no. So first of all, you've got to get clear with your values in order to get clear with your purpose. When you get your purpose, that's your why. It's a really simple statement. It's short, sharp, concise, and it will just pop. In fact, everyone I've worked with knows their purpose and I can do it in probably about 30 seconds, get someone clear with it. But you've got to get their values clear first in most cases. Then from there, you've got lifestyle balance. Everyone's talking about lifestyle balance these days. It's a fucking delusion because there is no such thing as, li- there is no such thing as lifestyle balance. There's your lifestyle balance. I work 60 to 100 hours a week. Love it. I can train an hour to two hours a day. Love it. That's someone else's nightmare. So there is no lifestyle balance. When someone's like work, you know, uh, work, work, home life and all that sort of stuff, you you have to take into account their values. If someone's building a business and they love building a business, they're going to spend the majority of their time in their business. And that's what fulfills them. You put someone who's got a high value on a family and then they build a business, they're going to hate the business because they want to spend most of their time with their family. So unless you're clear of your values and and your purpose, you will not understand your own lifestyle balance because lifestyle balance is heavily influenced by two key things. The first is your values. The second one, the areas of life. So if health goes out of balance, eventually it's going to affect your ability to generate wealth. If wealth goes out of balance, it's going to affect health and so on. And so all the areas impact each other. So you've got lifestyle balance. That's pillar number one is fulfillment. The second pillar is your drive and direction. Where are you headed? One of the biggest fuck-ups and mistakes that most people make in life is that they don't have their mission clear. The mission should be your core driver, and the mission should be longer than your life because then when you make decisions, you're not making them in the moment and you're not making them short-term. You're making a lifelong decision, and that should drive your behavior. Goal-driven people will tend to grind and burn out. They'll work really, really hard, and then they self-destruct and self-sabotage, and then they feel guilty and ashamed, and then they grind again. 
it was I was hanging out with uh, one of my good friends is Dr. John D. Martini, and so he sort of he uses some of my work. Um, there's there's a principle that he teaches um, in in one of his advanced events called Mojo's Law, and that's something that I created. Um, and it's based on physics and stuff like that, but it's human behavior. Um, so we're, we're good friends. Anyway, we're sitting there having dinner and he said, the day my life changed was the day I became mission driven, not goal driven. And that changed everything for me because I realized that the mission's never over. And so I'm working towards a lifelong mission, not a goal. So now my goals aren't self-destructive and I don't go hard and then celebrate and do self-destructive shit. I do things for a lifelong journey. So we need to get the visions clear because the visions create our mission then our mission creates our goals. So if we don't have that order, it's really, really hard to have long-term, long-term drive. And then finally, the last pillar uh, is performance psychology. So I don't know if that answered the question. I can't even remember what the question was, but essentially it was around how do, you know, how, how do you, I think the question was something about how do you, like how do you find your purpose? And, and like the values are, are so clearly linked to that, right? And yep. something you were just saying, yeah, I, I, I want to do some reflecting as well on the goals slash mission thing for myself. Um, I noticed you smiled a little bit yeah, there. So yeah. there was something that clicked. But like also like I would say without being seeming arrogant, like if you ask me truthfully, do I have a purpose? I'll say no. Mm-hmm. My big grand true purpose. Can I just pull you up on that? Yeah. You do have a purpose. It's just that your awareness of that purpose isn't clear at the moment. That's well, all that is because it's, it's in there. We just got to chip away the shit. We, we just got to clear some shit out and it'll just pop right up because yeah, it's there. But like. I, I'm on a path. I know the path I'm on yep. and I know right now I, I'm very intuitive. So it's like, I haven't nailed down, boiled it down to a single mission statement, mm-hmm. but it's to have as many awesome experiences as I can to truly to fulfill all the, all the needs and wants that, that probably came up as a child. Right. But I will speak to people, I have them on the podcast and I'll have a business for six months or 12 months or two years. And I'll be like, do you know your purpose? They all say yes. People don't feel, I feel like people don't truly know their purpose. So it's something that I do a lot of reflecting about. And I feel like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, you've got me thinking. You've got me thinking. Now, once someone does have a purpose, they, they feel like they've boiled that down to a mission statement. The next point is putting a plan together to make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Where do people fall over once they've done that work with you? Where do people fall over in the next step from, okay, no, I feel like I've got a re- really clear grasp on who I am, what my, what, what, what my values are and where I want to go. How do I get there? The next step. Is it, you know, is it the simple things like prioritization and time management that, that they get wrong? Where do people fail when they're actually in the process trying to chase down that goal, that dream? Yep. So the the success map is the, is the map, right? So that's the map of their life. It's it's the the values, the purpose, the life balance, then the direction, uh, pillar number two. That's that's the key part. But the thing is, your self awareness grows as you grow as well, and so we're always working on this. Um, I believe that the first, the first step in order to living a great life is the first thing you've got to do is find yourself. But I also believe that as a kid, we lose ourselves to give us a lifelong mission to find ourselves again. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Because most people spend their whole life looking for themselves, but we, we lose it. And, and I see this where people go, oh, you know, it's my parents and and this shit happened, and that's the reason why I feel like I've lost myself. Bullshit. Every human being loses themselves for the sole purpose of finding themselves again, and that's that's what we call life, right? It's a life. Right, yeah. You could call that the life purpose. You know, it's life's purpose. But like for me, what what I'm saying as well, like, do purposes change, or is it one one purpose? Because I feel like I yeah. can have a purpose, and I'm know what I'm like. My thoughts, feelings, emotions change in five years. Maybe it'll be something completely different. 
But I feel like the way people throw around the term purpose differs a lot. It, it could, it could. I, I mean, if I spent probably 15 minutes with you, I could get your values pretty clear, figure out that purpose and see if it sticks. And I think most of the time it, it etches itself. Like I'm 100% sure my purpose in life is to help people perform better. And then my mission in life is to build businesses that help people perform better. So I'm 100% clear with that. I'm, I'm certain of it. There's no doubt in my mind that that's the thing that I do every fucking day. You know, my mind is onto that 24-7. And, you know, whether I'm sitting down and watching TV, it's like, right, what are they doing? So if I'm watching a movie or something, I'm, I'm analyzing. Most of the time I'll, I'll watch movies that are based on true stories. I'm analyzing how are they performing? Why are they performing that way? What values would they have? What are the conflicts that they, the internal conflicts, how do they deal with them? Why are they doing that? That I just love it and I thrive on it. And I can have a two-minute conversation with someone and I'm picking up all that shit straight away. Like my brain just latches onto it. Um, whereas I was working with a client of mine a while ago and, and he's been a client with me for five years now. Started off a million and a half turnover, something like that. Now they're, they're pushing, I think it's around about 14. He just bought a, 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 a new yacht. Um, really, really awesome dude. Down to earth, um, trade-based business. and. When I was working with him, the first time I was helping him get clear with this map, he's like, I don't know my purpose. And I was like, right, we got clear with these values. I put pressure on him because the fastest way to do it is to put pressure on someone because I'll spit it out without the bullshit. And he just said to me, uh, he, I, I, I'm like, cool, what's your purpose in life? And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't know, man. I just want to do fucking cool shit with cool people. And I was like, cool, there it is. It's that simple. But see, that for me, what I think, there's two things when, it, when you talk about values comes to mind. There's one is freedom. And although I bet that's probably a common one that people say, but to me, look back at my life, it's always been freedom. I won't do anything I don't want to do. I've created a life where I don't have to answer to anyone. I work when I work. I work long and I work hard, but I do the things I want to do. And the other thing that comes to mind is fun and experience, them two things. But it's like, I feel like for me, there's a special purpose here that my purpose is almost to discover that purpose. And that goes back to your- It'll be deeper than that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because anyone who wants freedom- there's normally something that's trapping them, right? Because that's the counterbalancer and our brain is always balancing itself. So when we're trapped, we crave freedom. But when we're free, we normally create something in order to trap us again, whether it's a thought, whether it's an idea, whether it's a, a business or something. Yeah. Like as a business owner, whether we like it or not, we're never free. There's always a trap, right? That's why I hate the term financial freedom. It's easy to sell to the masses. But <laughs> the truth is like, you know this, right? You make more money, yeah. but there is more responsibilities. There's more accountabilities. If it's what you enjoy, though, you don't see it as being that because it's part of your values. Exactly. So when we're living our values, we're more emotionally stable and we just see it as being on the way, not in the way. Whereas when it's in the way, it's normally outside of our values or we have implanted values and fantasies that drive our behavior. So I know that my business traps me more than what I've ever been trapped, but I fucking love it. So I'm not going to do anything else. Finances. You know, I think, you know, we probably do reasonably well, better than most. Like, I mean, there are definitely people who make shitloads more money than what we do. but I, I love the idea of making money and the challenges that come with it, whether they be legal challenges, whether it be financial, whether it be accounting ones. You know, when you get that big tax bill and you're like, fuck, how do we deal with this? <laughs> it's awesome because most people don't have to deal with that. Does it suck at the time? Yeah. But they're the challenges that I enjoy. So we all take on, within our values, we take on challenges we enjoy. And then we think that they're not challenges because we overcomplicate life and we think that life's supposed to be hard or tough. I've really been pulling people up on this lately where they go, you know, I've been working hard and I'm like, have you? Is, is it hard or is it just work and you're being productive? Because it's like Australians use these, especially Australians, they use these language, these language patterns. 
that set themselves up to feel like shit consistently. Okay. I'm working hard. Why has it got to be hard? It doesn't have to be hard. Maybe you just make it fucking hard in your own head. Maybe you're just working. Super interesting. I could pick your brain on this. Like I've got a clearly got a, a still, I'm a very introspective person as well. I'm quite mm-hmm. self-aware and sometimes my body knows the answer before my, my, before I can put it into words. Yep. So it's about that, that journey, super feeling, but we'll move on because like I said, <laughs> we could spend another hour talking just about this, but there's, there's a bunch of things I wanted to, to get your opinion on. Now, one thing you were mentioning before you've spent a lot of time, many, many, many years studying like the brain and neuroscience. Mm-hmm. What's, what's something that you've learned that was a big eye opener for you when it comes to the brain on urine science or, or how that all works, anything stand out over the years that you're like, wow, that makes that, you know, joins a lot of dots that you didn't have the answers to before. Yeah. Uh, fuck. How deep do we want to go? Um, well, there's one thing as well. I wanted to ask you about specifically, maybe to point you in one of the directions, one to go into Hebs law, yep. wires together, fires together. That's something you've spoken about before that myself and Joe have talked about several times. And I feel like that concept is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so Hebb's law or, or Hebbian theory is that circuits in the brain that fire together, wire together. So they essentially create our habits and behaviors. With habits, I, I love talking about them because right now you're trying to create new habits, but in order to create new habits, you've got to destroy old habits. And those old habits were once a habit that you were trying to create mm-hmm. and you had an old, uh, an old habit. So, you know, a lot of people get in this concept of like, if I can just create these new habits, life's going to be better. But at some point you're going to look at that habit and go, that's actually a really shit habit that I have that I need to change. And I think that that's really cool. And that's why it took me a long, long time. Like I turned 40 this year. Um, it, it's, it's taken me 39 years, really, may, maybe 38, to sit here and go, it's the process. And everyone says it, but I never got it because I was always like, I would have these statements, which was like, if then, then I'll. So if I achieve, if I make more money, then I'll be more fulfilled. If I have more holidays, then I'll feel better. Like if my body looks like this, then I'll do you're always creating some time in the future That's that doesn't everyone, exist right? yet. That's, everyone does that. Most people, right? Yeah, most people. But all you're doing is you're taking a present moment. You th- you're thinking that the present moment is shit and that some point in the future is going to be better because you've done something different. The truth is the future is going to be the same as what it is right now because the one thing that needs to change isn't changing and that's how you think about shit. So what I realized was the only thing that exists in the human experience is right now. So if right now you can't enjoy shit, you are not going to enjoy your future. The moment that you say, fuck it, I'm changing is the moment that it changes. And Jess and I, you know, went through this, we went through this period of the business, like we had COVID, the shit went rough. Um, I mean, we, we were quite good. We pivoted really quickly. We went straight online. We were one of the first people in the world to live stream events and stuff like that. So we did, we did quite well. But we had this stage where we went from 16 staff, we dropped back to, we kept one staff member, myself and Jess, and then we, we rebuilt and regrew because we had to. We just, we kept on to too much, we held on to too much dead wood. Um, but, but we dropped into a bit of a financial, um, not hole, because we've got, personally, we've got, um, you know, investments and stuff. But the business dropped into a bit of a financial hole. And I just, I just remember going through this stage where life just got tough. And it got tough, not because it was tough. It's just because we were weak. And, you know, Jess would wake up in the morning and I'd go, you know, how'd you sleep? And she'd go, oh, good. Oh, fuck. I've got to get this shit done. And it was like our language shifted. And I would do the same. Jess would, Jess was like, you know, I noticed she didn't sleep well last night. I'm like, yeah, fuck. I couldn't sleep. I was a bit stressed and blah, blah, blah. And then, and the whole day was just like this heavy energy. And then what I noticed was we're watching more TV, we're more burnt out, I'm eating more shit food. I put on, put on a bit more weight. 
And I was just like, everything just got heavy. And even though I'm like this expert in my field, right? I had still forgotten simple principles, which is it's so easy for everyone. And that's why I tell people I'm just a normal person. Like I, people come to my events and they go, you're so inspiring. And I'm like, I'm just a normal dude. That's why I like hanging out with people. I go out and have coffees with our participants. Why? Because I'm a normal person who knows a lot of shit about one skill set. I'm dumb as fuck at most other things, right? So I'm not Jesus. I don't walk on water and, and I just want to be treated like a normal person. And I think everyone has amazing skill sets that, and, and they'll have some things that they do extremely well, but most of the things in life they're going to be extremely shit at. The faster they accept that they're shit at most things and they're really good at a couple of things, if they do that, they'll actually end up living a great life. So we went through this, this period. Everything's really tough and it became a habit, right? So Hebb's Law, circuits in the brain that fire together, wire together. And this one morning, I remember the alarm went off. I got out of bed. I rolled over, put my feet on the carpet and, and the carpet felt really soft and spongy. And I stopped and I like look around the bedroom and I thought, do you know the house that we live in would have been my dream as a kid growing up? Like we grew up in a low socioeconomic area, um, you know, and, and we're living now on a lake, nice, n- nice old, it's an older house, um, but you know, nice area and stuff like that. And I was like, oh. and I just smiled a little bit. And then I looked across and Jess was like half asleep with probably drool, half, <laughs> like coming out of her mouth and you know, your partner's got their fucking hair everywhere and shit yeah. in the morning. And I was like, you know, I've got this amazing human being that stuck, that stuck with me through thick and thin. The person that I probably admire more than anyone because, you know, she's had to put up with me and, and I'm, a, I'm a tough dude to deal with because um, I'm like slightly mental and chaotic and, and, and entrepreneurial, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like I just realized how fucking awesome life was and everything shifted. And then I remember Jess waking up that morning and I just said, it stops today. That's it. It stops. No more talking shit. Nothing's bad. Nothing's a fucking problem. We can always fix anything. Like we've gone through one of the hardest stages in business and we've come out the other side. We didn't fold. Everything's still fine. The fuck are we worried about? Let's do this. And then all of a sudden, our, all of our patterns just shifted that moment. And what it made me realize is how easy it is for people to get stuck in shitty patterns and reinforce them through that theory of Hebb's law. And it becomes a habit, just their, their thinking, their emotions, their their actions and their behaviors and the way they respond to things all become this habit that probably they can just break in an absolute moment if they just exactly. make the decision to change it. It just takes that moment. I, I read a quote one time that stuck with me. Like real growth is when you realize you're sick of your own shit. Mm-hmm. Like why do we continue to, you know, because it goes back to exactly what you said before. And this this is probably applies to most people listening. We know what we sh- to do and what we should be doing, but you just don't do it, right? So it's yep. just realizing and catching yourself. And, and to me, I always go like, is this how, like, if I think about the type of person I want to be and, and where I want to go in life, is this how that person behaves, thinks, you know, mm. what, who I spend my time with, what I do, how I speak? No, it's not. Then fucking stop. But how do you, how do you shorten that amount of time it takes people to realize and snap themselves out? Okay. Here, here's something that's mind blowing for most people. And there are going to probably be a lot of people who listen to this, who it, this statement alone will probably fucking piss them off. And I know I've got critical feedback on this by people because it's true, but they don't want to admit it. And that is that if you look at, if you go and study lots of different fields of science, you find that there are lots of things that we can relate to human behavior. And so if you look at biology, no living organism does things that's detrimental to its own safety and survival or its own purpose, right? So if you get a Petri dish and you put a single bacterium without a brain or a bacteria, you put a toxin next to it and it'll move away from the toxin. 
So anything that any organism feels as a disadvantage in life, it'll move away from. Once you understand that principle, it changes the way you think about human behavior because that means that all behaviors that someone's doing that they say they don't want to do yet keep doing are beneficial. But no one ever asked them the question, what benefits do you get from doing that thing? When you realize that they do shit that's beneficial to them and they don't, they, they keep judging it as I don't want to do this anymore, but no one's actually asked them what the benefits are. And our society reinforces shitty patterns by saying to people, well, this is bad. This is wrong. This shouldn't happen. And so then people feel guilty and ashamed and bad. And so they blame and complain. And then our society reinforces that when someone's struggling and they're suffering, we go and support them and nurture them. You're just reinforcing a pattern because if I feel bad about myself and now I repeat a behavior or I repeat something or I feel a certain way, everyone comes in and supports me, which is a good thing, right? Like it, 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 it makes them feel better. But does it change the behavior? Also, is it harming? Like maybe it's, you know, they're doing what's going to make them feel better in this moment, but is it harming them long term? And that's, that's the problem though, right? So I, I'll give you a couple of different examples, if you don't mind, where, because I, I think that it'll, it'll really hit home and uh, hopefully it helps some of the people who are listening. But if, if you understand that a common human behavior principle is that humans only do things that they perceive are beneficial, full stop, no exceptions. Then from there, when someone comes to me and they say, I have this pattern of behavior and it's bad, it's wrong, it's fucked, I hate it. What you realize is that they're, that they're saying that, but they've never really reflected on what, what the actual benefits are of why they keep doing it. That negative thing, right? Yeah. That moment. Yep. When you know that, you can actually help them through it because once you show them all the benefits, they go, oh, shit. And then you can actually define the disadvantages of each of the pattern, each of the benefits that they have and you, you, you kill the, the habit or the pattern. So I had someone uh, ages ago where they came to me and they, had, they, they were diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Now, anxiety is, is normally, most commonly, if it's diagnosed correctly, is normally a response that happens due to time pressure. Right? So if you're stuck in traffic and you know you've got to be somewhere, you'll start getting anxious in most cases. If you just chilled out, maybe if you smoke weed or whatever, you, you might not be. Um, you, I mean, you, you'll probably be chilled out. But if you're, if you're someone who's running late, you'll normally start to feel a bit anxious. If you put yourself in environments where there's a fear response, you'll probably start to feel a bit anxious. It's normally a time response related to something. So this person comes in and says, you know, I've had this um, anxiety disorder. I want to get rid of it. Um, how can, how can I help? Like it keeps getting triggered and I've, it's been diagnosed as social anxiety. I went, okay, cool. Let's explore. Cause I, I don't know, it could be right, right? There's always exceptions to rules. So I'm always inquisitive, right? I'm not a black and a white, like this is that. So I, I asked her some questions and I was like, cool. So tell me when it happened. Something that's also interesting is that humans generalize things. So if you take a child out and you're teaching to cross the road and you say, look, look left, look right, look left, look right. and you say, see that thing there, we've got to wait for that to go before we cross. The child looks at it and it's this red Holden Commodore and it's coming along. Now, if the child was specific, next time the child goes to cross the road by itself, there's a white Holden, uh, a white Toyota Ute coming down the road. It steps out in front of it, dies because it was specific. Mum said, don't cross the road and pointed to red Commodore. Therefore, red Commodore is bad, but white Holden, uh, white Toyota Ute, no problem. So our brain goes big boxy thing don't step in front of survival response. So now we can cross in front of trains, buses, trucks, cars, anything that's moving towards us, we go, don't step in front of. 
generalization. The problem is that generalization is a, a survival response, but now humans generalize about shit that isn't a survival response. So they'll go, my life is fucked. What's specific? Like what second of what day makes life fuck? You know, someone says I've had a shit day. How many minutes in a day? Is it 18? I can't even remember off the top of my head. But it's it's heaps, right? So when someone says- Try to look that up. (laughs) I've always wanted to do that. Got it? Nah, I'm just joking. It's 1440. So it's there's 1440 minutes. Cool. So uh, 1400 minutes in a day. When someone, and then how many seconds multiply that by another 60? Give everyone time to think. Elevator music, Joe. That's it. 86,400 seconds in a day. Yep. So you've got 86,400 seconds in a day, which is 86,400 moments. And you've just had a shit day. Which one of those moments specifically made the day shit, right? So we generalize things like days, weeks, this last month's been fucked. Business is fucked. Life shit. You know, my partner, I, I, I was working with someone the other day and they're like, you know, my partner always does this. And I'm like, really always like, that's the only fucking thing that they ever do. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, not really. And can you see how, how, how We're programming ourselves in such a negative way, right? When you do yeah, that, our brain just fucks with us. It's it, where humans are built to survive full stop. If we want to thrive though, we need different patterning and we need different ways of thinking through it. So with this, with this person um, that I was working with, I said, right, take me back to the moment where you started getting anxious. And she said, well, I was, I was at a family function. I said, okay, cool. Run me through the example and I'll, I'll cut it short. But she, she was at a family function. She's there. And all of a sudden she starts feeling anxious and she has this um, anxiety disorder uh, or the, this thing. So her mum, and this has been a consistent pattern. So mum takes her to the doctor, doctor diagnoses her with an anxiety disorder. Um, I think she'd gone to a psychiatrist and stuff as well. So she gets diagnosed with this anxiety disorder because when she's in social settings, she's anxious. When we went to the moment and I kept her accountable to what was actually really going on, she said, I, I was, because I knew it was a, a normally, anxiety is normally a response to time pressure. And at first she said, no, nope, there was no time there. I wasn't in a rush for anything. But the more we dug into it, she said, I just wanted to get the fuck out of there. She didn't want to be at the family function. She was doing it because she, she, her mum had implanted her values, told her that family is important and therefore she's got to go to the family function. And so she's got a pattern of behavior of living with these implanted values from others that say that family is important, socializing is important, but she's not a social person. She doesn't like hanging around her family. Immediate family, yes, but large social settings where there's family, she doesn't. So the anxiety response is a rush to get out of there. And it's also an excuse to not be in those settings. That's her benefit. When she realized that, she's like, oh shit. So if I just make better decisions and I don't put myself in environments where I'd feel uncomfortable and I don't have the same disorders. And since then I've, I, I've, I haven't heard that she's had another one. Goes back to what you said before. Like you ask better questions, you get better solutions. Yep. And again, it's, it's, it's sometimes just like hacking the code to unfuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like we don't realize what we're doing now. I've realized in this conversation and, and do my research, you think differently to a lot of other people, you know, in your space. Um, so I'm interested, I don't know where you go with this, but what's your thoughts on, like limiting beliefs, are they real? Where do they come from? How do you overcome them? Oh, love the question because um, most people, when they talk about limiting beliefs, it's sort of like a fad word. Like there's all these cool fad words that come out. When you look at what a belief is, and, and I used to use these terminologies as well, by the way, but when you look at what a belief is, it's a perception. 
And the question before you asked about like cool shit in science and neuroscience, I dove deep into this and that's why I asked about how deep do you want me to go? And, and if you don't mind me touching on it, cause I'll just, I'll just fuck with your head and rattle, rattle some people um, on here. So when you look at what a belief is, you go, okay, what is a belief? Now a belief is a generalization about something, right? So we can, we, we can make a belief about cars, about people, about life, about money or whatever. So we've got this generalized belief again as a safety response. So then from there, you've got to ask the question, so how do we develop them? Now, that led me to studying human perception. Now, when I look at human perception, I go, okay, what, what's actually happening in a perception? When you study it, if, if I just chunk it to a, a, an easy chunk, you look at the eyes. Our eyes are essentially a filter for light. So our, light, our eyes work on electromagnetism. So we don't see anything. So you're not looking at me. You're looking at what you perceive is me within your brain. Your brain is making an assumption that I'm sitting here looking how I look, but essentially the only thing that's going in through your eyes based on science is electromagnetic rays or electromagnetic light, you could say, um, but essentially it's electromagnetism. Then it goes through this optic nerve and it goes into different parts of the brain and your brain has to interpret it. So right now you're having an interpretation of what you see, but that's all it is. I've already fucked with my head, I'll just say that, but in a good way, yep. in an interesting way, yeah. It's- then from there, sound you're hearing me talk and everyone's listening, whoever's listening to this is still listening if I haven't upset everyone yet. Um, but when you hear sound, it's essentially compressions of air. Okay? Now that compression of air that, that creates sound waves, those sound waves create oscillations or vibrations within the ear and they go through and get converted into an electronic signal. So essentially you're, what you hear isn't what you hear because all you hear is vibrations of sound what you're hearing is inter- interpreted within the brain structure. So what you've seen and what you've heard is both an interpretation that happens within your brain. Now, even touch, if you get too, um, if you get too, uh, I'll, I'll try and keep this as simple as possible, but if you get essentially two atoms and you put them together and, and depending on their electron shells and stuff, they can essentially create a new element. So we can't actually properly touch anything. It's, it's a sensation that happens through our nervous system. So when we say we touch something, we actually don't really touch something according to physics. So that led me to ask a question, what is real? And what is real is whatever we make real because it's an interpretation that happens within our brain. So what are beliefs and limiting beliefs? They're an interpretation of things that we perceive are limiting within our brain structure based on our interpretation how am I going so far? How's your brain going? Oh, yeah. I was wondering <laughs> how you're going to relate this to it, but it, that makes sense. We had, we had a guy on yesterday, super successful, founder of a company called Trapeka. They're doing like eight figures in the, in the health food space, really successful. And one of his tools he would use, it kind of, kind of linked. It's like, if I'm ever stuck, the only person that needs to understand the story inside my head and believe it is me. If I understand it and I'm happy with it, then I don't need to justify why I'm doing what I'm doing to everyone else. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you take what you said, and you boil it down and like you have power to create and perceive whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. Now, do, do, are there limitations to that? Yes. Because if you look at how the brain gets developed and how the brain evolves, you know, we start off as a child and this, this comes back to work from uh, a, 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 the guy who created psychoanalytical theory or, or psychoanalysis, uh, Sigmund Freud. And what he said is that when you're a child and you're born, you've got this part of the mind. So he, he speaks about there are sort of three parts of the mind you've got the ego, the super ego, which is essentially implanted values. And then you've got the id, which is where the word idiot comes from. And it means small mind. When you're a child, you're born with the id. 
and the id is your essentially you're run by your emotions and all emotions are volatile and they're cyclical so what goes up has to come back down and what's down eventually goes back up in order to control our impulses which essentially are the things that we perceive are pleasurable in the moment they also create uh, they're normally driven by fear so anytime someone is impulsive it's normally driven from fear which pisses me off because the majority of drug rehab and stuff like that don't even understand that or that that theory anyway because if you're dealing with someone's impulsiveness it's normally driven from fear but they'll deal with the impulse but very rarely do they deal with the fear which actually drives the impulse and everyone knows this because if you have a shitty day at work and you're driving home you start craving things like beer food or something like that but that's based on the fear or the pain that's been created from the day it drives the impulse okay so you've got the id the id is impulsive and it, it tries to help us avoid fear so it's survival response in order to counterbalance that, we have something called the implanted values, which is why if you go to do something um, crazy, someone else will pop into your mind that will make you start to feel guilty or ashamed of it because you're like, fuck, if I do this, they're going to they're gonna be pissed off or they're going to judge me. That's trying to counterbalance our id or our emotional response. The same thing happens in opposition where when you're afraid and when you're scared, someone else will pop into our brain that supports us. Okay, So our brain is always trying to counterbalance itself. And then the true definition of ego, and, and I mean, the, the, unfortunately, the, the industry, no one really researches this shit, but the real etymology or history of the word ego means the true self. So when people talk about, you know, my ego is stopping me, it's not actually your ego that's stopping you. It's the implanted values of others or your id, the, the impulses and the, the fears. So the word ego means the true self. That's the original de- definition or etymology of it, the correct definition and etymology. So your ego is who you really are. That's essentially your success map. Then you've got the implanted values of others, which are other people's opinions, words, beliefs, and stuff. And then to counterbalance that, you've got the impulses and the fears. And so they're all battling off against each other to try and keep your brain in balance. Because if your brain goes out of balance, you're just too crazy. So um, how the fuck did I get onto that? Because that that was- Yeah, it's (laughs) it's so interesting. Like this stuff, like if there's people like following along and you don't understand everything you just said, that's fine. Like these are- some of these are complex ideas, but I think it's good to start having these conversations and thinking about your behaviors and, and reflect and, and just start because like understanding this stuff is a process, right? Like mm. if, and again, people can be super critical on themselves and expect to understand all these things straight away. And that is just to get another negative cycle. That's going to probably take you further away from where you want to be. But I, I do want to ask you a few more questions before we, before we finished one thing that's, that's an obvious one that I wanted to ask. Can I just, can I just, have you got that? Because you said something that was really interesting. You said people be critical on themselves, but the truth is you're never really critical on yourself. It's the comparisons that you have between who you think you should be based on the implanted values of others that make yourself critical. That's also the same reason why people tend to procrastinate because normally procrastination is a fear of what other people think. If you clear all that shit out, you just do stuff. Right, but it's the it's the fear that you have of what other people think, which doesn't even fucking matter anyway. Yeah, but it's the it's it's that fear that drives the procrastination, and it's that fear as well that that drives the self criticism and all that. You actually never really criticize yourself. You criticize yourself compared to what you. There's feel another is voice in your head. Other right? people that you're down, yeah. against. I can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me for sure. Yep. So interesting, fucking hell. The human brain is is so complex, and like even you, who knows a lot about it, you probably there's a million more things that you don't know. So it's yeah, that's, that's super interesting. What I, what I was going to ask you, um, not to just quickly change the subject, again, <laughs> but what I was going to ask you, there's, there's a few things before we wrap up, um, while we've gotten you in here, but 
one thing is that you're someone that's worked with tens of thousands of people, you know, high achievers, probably some that not so high achievers, but specifically with the high achievers, what, what have you noticed that sets them apart? What's, what's the key ingredient that makes them different to the people that don't actually take action and, and make all, everything happen that they, that they want to or dream to? Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of the high achievers, um, I think there is an underlying desire to prove a point. So that's the implanted values of others. But I think they get to a point where they just go, you know what, nothing that I've ever done is good enough anyway. So you know what, fuck it, I'm going to have a crack. The other thing is that they get, some of them are just really, really clear with what they want to do. So if you look at someone like Warren Buffett, from a young age, if, if you watch his documentary, from a young age, he, he loved money. And so I think it was like his 13th birthday, he asked for a money counter. And by 16, he'd, he was already buying shares and, and so on. So he just knew what he wanted to do. Now, the problem with that, and, and you know this in business as well, is that what most people talk about is, uni, is unicorns that have had unicorns that have had unicorns. Very rarely, like when someone talks about Mark Zuckerberg and you know starting a social media company, there have been so many social media companies that have come and, and gone and failed and, and haven't even got off the ground. Why? Because his business is a unicorn that, that had a unicorn that had a unicorn. It's like, it's, it, it's, it's fucking rare as rare as rare. Yet we tend to hyper-exaggerate those types of businesses. Um, so I think with Warren Buffett, someone like that, it's hyper-rare that someone really just says, this is what I want to do with my life and they just do it. What, what I find are some of the common patterns if we take those types of people out is that normally they've had enough stress and challenge as a child where they have independent thinking. They also believe in themselves enough so it comes back to that challenge and support factor, right? Like a child that is that is oversupported, and, and we're getting a lot of these now in in the, you know, younger generations. And you'll probably see this when you're hiring and stuff like that, where they come in, and they just can't handle stress, they can't handle pressure. Why? Because mummy and daddy wrapped them in fucking cotton wool, and now they're out in the big real world, and you don't get participation awards. No one gives a fuck, right? You either do your job or you don't do your job because you don't get paid to not deliver. And, and that's just how it is, right? That's, that's economics, right? It's, it's capitalism. So when you, under support, when you over-support a child, they become weak and fragile because they have to create challenge for themselves. So I partially believe that the reason why the mental health, I, I saw something the other day, which was like 50% of uh, whatever, whatever the generation below uh, millennials are. And it, it, gen, it might be you gen mean Z. younger than millennials? Yeah. Yeah, Gen Z, because I'm a millennial. You're Gen Z, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're. He's one of the good ones. He's one of the good ones. <laughs> um, but I think it was the statistic that I saw was that fifty percent of Gen Zs then have some sort of mental health issue. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Whereas when I go back to my grandparents' era, maybe maybe they had maybe they had stuff, but they just like they they maybe they had ways of dealing with it. Like I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but suicide rates weren't like they are now. And and I'm not saying that it's a good thing, or I'm not saying it's a bad thing but they just grew up tough. Like my grandpa was tough. You know, like if you gave him too much shit, he would just like, he would just fucking take you down. Right? Could, you, could you imagine like hundreds of thousands of millions of like 17, 18, 19 year old kids had to go off toward these days? Yep. 100%. Like my, my, my grandpa, even like in his, in his seventies and eighties, he'd still snap your fucking neck if he, if, he, if he had to, right? Like he, he just didn't give a shit, right? Yeah. But so he, he was just a tough dude. And, and even my other grandfather who, who wasn't the same sort of physical toughness, but he was just mentally tough. He was just one of those dudes that he was a lot more business minded and business savvy, but he never went to university or anything like that, but ended up 
you know, in a high in a high level in, in business because he just worked hard his whole life. Um, so they're just they're they're tough, but they got brought up in an environment where they had a lot of challenge. They had a lot of physical challenge. They had a lot of mental challenge, and so they just got used to it, right? Whereas when you're wrapping people up in cotton wool, imagine work, walking into the gym day one and chucking 100 kilos on the bench press bar, like you're going to die. It'll just cut your neck. Like you, you'll <laughs> die. So you've got these millennial or, or these Gen Z, sorry, that are that are coming out now that are being wrapped up in cotton wool. They get participation awards. They get you know everyone tells them that you can be anything, you can do anything. And we've hired, we've we've gone through hiring before, right? So I, I had a job a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was like six years ago, five years ago. I was a marketing manager. And it was $120,000 a year starting wage plus bonuses. And I would say that 50% of the um, CVs that we got were like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do with my life, but I thought this would be a good place to start. I'm like, at 120? <laughs> like, you start at 30 and you figure out what you want to do with life, not 120. And then some people like, oh, you know, I was just, I, I'm, I'm not really too sure what I want to do with my life, but I think, you know, it, this would be a good place to see if I, you know, want to figure out. And I was like, are you shitting me? It was like the it was like the majority of that generation. What surprised me by having conversations, um, I'm not sure if I would 100 my experience would be linked to Gen Zs, but now that I think of it, I think it is like I can't imagine someone ask someone asking me what do you want to do with your life and not having an answer. Mm. But there are people that genuinely don't know what they want to do, and that was a, a big surprise to me. Where do you think that comes from? Um, the implanted values of others. So if, and this is, this is why I, I think that society has set, and, and by the way, it's not Gen Z's fault. Anyone who's listening who's a Gen Z, if you're going through any of this stuff, it's not your fault. It's that- yeah, we should probably say, this isn't Gen Z bashing. There's not a Gen- No, 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 not, no, not in no way. Every generation has shit, right? Yeah, every generation yeah, sure. has patterns and, and problems and, and stuff like that. And every older generation thinks the younger generations are screwed, Every time, right? yeah. yeah. Um, but there are things that we can learn from every generation as well. I, I think that what happens is that from human behavior, anytime you oversupport somebody, it makes them weak and fragile. And we're making kids weak and fragile. The thing is that in capitalism, no one gives a shit. So you go out to go get a job. You're, you can either do the job or you can't do the job. And if you can't do the job, you're not going to make the money that you want to make because people get paid on value and productivity. And so therefore, if productivity drops and value drops, then the wage has to drop because the business isn't going to make money. And so that's just how it works. And now we've got Australian kids that are coming out. And, and the cool thing is that we're not competing anymore. And you know this with e-com. We're not competing in the Australian market. We're competing in a global economy. Now, you've got kids in China that, that essentially get the shit kicked out of them at three years of age and get told that if they don't perform or become a doctor or become good at powerlifting or something like that, that their family could die. Right? So then now they're, they're going out into the job force and they're prepared to, to work seven days a week you know, 12, 13 hours a day and they're competing with old mate who doesn't like any challenge, doesn't want any stress, wants to work four-day work weeks, doesn't want to work past 5 p.m., doesn't want their employer to call them, but still wants to make, you know, $200,000 a year. Okay, we're in a bit of shit, right? Yeah. And all great economies fall at some point. Now, I don't know when Australia is going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know. But what I do know is just from a human behavior perspective that when people are, are over-supported, they become weak. When people overchallenge, they get crushed. But I also know that parents naturally want the best for their kids. And I also know that they don't want their kids, if they, if they still have wounds that they have never healed and dealt with, they don't want their kids to experience those wounds. And if we go back and we have a look at the word, just you know, off topic a little bit, but on topic, um, the word passion means to suffer. 
So the original etymology of the word means to suffer. So if you go and read Marcus Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius's book, Meditations, and you look at the great authors, they talk about this idea of avoiding passions. And that's because um, passion is a false, it's a false benefit when actually it has drawbacks. And like when you start dating someone, you're passionate about them because you only see their good sides, not their shit sides. As you start dating for a long period of time, you realize they have this whole other side and that's essentially their shadows. So the word, the etymology of passion means to suffer. The word compassion means to suffer with others. And the word empathy is the, the root word is from compassion. So when we're compassionate and empathetic, it's normally because we've got past parts of ourselves that we haven't quite worked through and dealt with yet. And so when we see someone else going through the same thing and we know that there's no benefit to it, we react. Over time, the more you work on yourself, the more you realize that the wounds that you have were beneficial. So when you see other people going through it, you can educate them, you can teach them, but you can't save them because they have to go through it themselves in order to, to realize that there are benefits in that thing. So now you've got parents who are wounded individuals who now have empathy for their kids. They see their kids going through challenges and they go, I don't want my kids to go through the same challenges I went through. And so they try to protect the, the kids. But a lot of the time now they're overprotecting and because they're overprotecting, that's fine until they go to the real world. And the real world is they now have to compete with the kids in China. They now have to compete with a workforce, a marketplace, and you don't get to decide your value. You can say, I think I'm a highly valuable individual that's, a, that's worth millions. But other people get to dictate that in the workforce. So now you're in deep shit because now, now you want the million dollar lifestyle, but you don't want to work for it. You don't get to decide that. The, the workforce does. And the economy does. To go back to, to the point you were making at the start of, of that question about, you know, the, the having a point to prove or a chip on their shoulder. What, what I'm, yeah, what I'd love to get your thoughts on is like, because I, I agree with that quite, quite a lot, but it's like that can only take you so far. But where does motivation come from if not uh, insecurity? Uh, it is an insecurity. So the cool thing is, is with your values, if, when I understand a person's values, you also understand their insecurities yeah. because everything in life. And, and this is why I love the yin yang principle and why I teach mental balance and mental stability over positive thinking or negative thinking, because positive and negative is almost, they, they, they have to be together, right? They're the same thing, but in, in different parts, two sides of a coin, but same coin. So the yin yang principle essentially says you can't have dark without light. You can't have peace without war. You know, you can't have happiness without unhappiness. Yet when you speak to most people, they're like, I want to be peaceful and happy. Well, you're already creating the shit that goes on in your head, which is that your mind is unpeaceful and you are unhappy as a person. So the more you chase happiness, the more unhappy you become because it's, it's a fleeting thing. Like you just keep chasing it. So that's not really the goal in life. The goal in life is fulfillment and fulfillment comes through our values and, and doing something that's meaningful. Now, with our values, our values are essentially an empty cup. They're an empty vessel, and they come from insecurities that are created from a kid. They're, they're a sense of missingness within ourselves. So if I look at my top three values, my highest value is teaching, learning, coaching. My second highest value is high-value connections and leadership. So these are people that I can learn from or people that I can coach, teach, and lead. Then my third highest value is business and wealth creation, and my fourth highest value is physical appearance and physical movement. Now, if I look at those values and I go back, it makes sense. Because at school, I was put into special classes, made to feel dumb. The teachers, a lot of the teachers never saw my greatness or what I was good at. They would just criticize me and put me down. So maybe that's why I became a teacher and an educator and why I love learning now. My second highest value of high value connections and leadership 
is because I was a bit of an outcast as a kid. I was always like, I was never in with the cool kids. And that was something that really drove me as a young kid was wanting to fit in. And I just never fit in. Business and wealth creation. I was, the, I was a kid at school who played in $28 sneakers because my parents couldn't afford basketball shoes. All the other kids had Jordans and shit like that. It's probably why I have a collection of Jordans now and you know <laughs> Louis and all that because they're important to me. It's a, it shows me how far I've come. So I think that's why I have a business and also why I love making money now because to me, that was a thing that I never grew up around. And then finally, you know, my body being chubby, overweight and picked on for having red hair and freckles. I think that's why, you know, now I tend to dress a bit nicer and, and why I, I look after myself as, as best that I can. Um, I, I so. agree with that a thousand percent. I, I strongly believe like, yeah, motivation is from some, it, it started as an insecurity. But now where you are in life, you've identified that, you have all the understanding. Is it still that? Is it still going yeah. back to that old where where it started, that same well that started the fire to first start that first business? So it still comes back to those same yep. places. Interesting, because I felt like intuitively I was thinking that, but I'm like, surely there's something else there. But it's good to hear other people uh, such as yourself kind of um, yeah, say it like that because- yeah. Drive comes from insecurity. Yeah. And this is, this is something that I teach, which most people aren't taught is that if you get rid of the insecurity, you get rid of the drive. And so you're either going to be driven by your pains, you're going to be driven by pleasure, but pleasure always leads back to pain, which is why it's a stupid concept. The majority of what I've seen in the psychology space, and this isn't all psychologi psychologists, but a lot of the stuff that I see taught is that humans are driven by pain or pleasure. That's partially true, but they can also be driven by inspiration. Inspiration is a balance between pain and pleasure. So as a business owner, you know that business is both painful and pleasurable, but you still do it right because it's a value. So if we identify our values, our values are things that we're prepared to endure pain and also the pleasure of pursuing that thing. Whereas anything that's not really a value, we just see it as being painful without the pleasure. So that's why we don't do it. So if, if you watch someone who, is, who uses pain as their motivator, they, they will be driven by the pain and the insecurity until they feel like the insecurity is not there and then they take their foot off the gas and then they fuck everything back up and they end up back at square one. And then they call that self-sabotage, but it's not self-sabotage because no organism sabotages itself. It's a strategy to get back what, we're really, what we really want and what we really want is productivity. We want to be effective and we want to contribute in some way, shape or form to the economy, to society. You know, we, we, we've got to do something with our lives. So when you understand, that's why I said about the goal-driven versus mission-driven, because when you're mission-driven, there's something to keep driving towards. At Whereas all times, right? if yeah. it's a goal, you work really, really hard, you grind, you push. And, and you'll see this, like I worked years ago with a lot of the bodybuilding industry, uh, a lot of bodybuilders and, and sports models. They grind really, really hard. They get to a, an outcome that they want. Like they get up on stage, they get rewarded. They get all this empowering feedback. You look so great. You've done amazing. And then they start binge eating for four weeks. And then they feel like shit again. They've got to do another comp because the comp is their way to, to lose the weight again because now they're feeling insecure about themselves again. If they realize that they just love exercise and they realize that they, they love the challenge, then you just take on the challenge versus the goal itself. So self-sabotage patterns are always giving a person what they actually want again, which is normally their drive and their, 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 it pushes them back to their values, the thing that they actually love. Yeah. Uh, I'm learning so much. It's good to hear it articulated like, like that doctor said to you, articulating things that can be complex into simple uh, ideas and, and terminology that people can understand. So I think it's been an extremely valuable conversation. I want to ask you one more question, one more topic, because it's almost two hours already. So we're <laughs> absolutely flying. Um, 
One last thing again. I yeah. don't know how much you, you've 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 researched into this, but I imagine the type of person and and your values you you are researched in this. But in terms of biohacking, again, another buzzword over the last five years. But are there any things that you can share with the listeners that you've introduced into your life in terms of health and wellness or biohacking specifically that have helped you perform better day to day? Yeah, sleep. Sleep. That's a big <laughs> one. I see you wearing your whoop as well. Yeah. Um. So look, sleep's probably the biggest thing. Um. I mean, I've always I always mess around with things, and I sort of you know I'm always like trying different supplements and seeing what works and what doesn't work. I think probably like. I always just go back to the basics, right? Like oxygen is the nutrient that we need the largest amount of in a 24-hour period. Uh, is it the most important nutrient? Well, I mean, every nutrient's important, but- You could argue it is. Yeah, but if you look at oxygen, the amount, I, I think it's, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's like 36,000 liters or something of oxygen we have per day. It's something ridiculous. Someone's going to fact check me on this and fucking shame me on, on social <laughs> media, but it, it's a lot, right? So we use a lot of oxygen per day. And if we're not breathing properly, then that's going to create an issue. So most people do things that affect their breathing, like sitting down for long periods of time, you crush your diaphragm, overeating food, it pushes your stomach up into your diaphragm, you can't breathe properly. So all of your posture, those things are going to affect your breathing. So if you just get better at breathing, which seems so obvious, but for most people, they're actually really shitty breathers. Um, that's that's something that I think is great biohacking. And then, you, you know, you've got... Uh, there are there are people out there. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gary Berker or whatever. Ten uh, X Healthcare. You know he talks quite. Uh, Gary Berker. He talks a lot about um, you know waking up and doing the Wim Hof stuff and and all of that. Um, so I, you can do that, but even still, you can do a couple of rounds of Wim Hof breathing. But if your posture is still shit and you're overeating food, then your breathing's still not that good. So get your breathing right. The next thing is we've got to look at the other things that are important. Water. Are we drinking enough water? Are we drinking good quality water? Are we drinking just the shit out the tap that picks up all the heavy metals out of the pipes and everything like that? I'm not, I don't, I don't expect that most people should go out and spend, you know, five grand on a water filter. I know some people do, but just go and get like a half decent water filter for your house, like a reverse osmosis. They're like 400 bucks. Get someone to install it or just install it yourself. Like it's not that hard. You get that right. Now you're drinking better quality water. Can you put minerals and shit in there? Yeah, you just add a pinch of Celtic salt or something like that. It'll pick up the minerals. You know, now you've got electrolyte water or whatever, you, whatever you want. Uh, again, someone's going to, oh yeah, but whatever. Shut the fuck up. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just just keep things simple, right? Again, you can complicate it and do a million things, but breaking it down to yeah, like sleep, uh, water, and oxygen, oxygen, then movement. Like, are we moving enough? That's just a basic, right? So, um, something that Jess and I've realized is. That when we have meetings, we can go for a walk. We don't have to sit in a room like this with a with a table and and talk about for an hour about ideas and thoughts. So we go for a walk and we'll we'll brainstorm where we're, why we're on a walk. Probably more creative that way anyway. With the blood, hundred percent. And I take clients. I, you know, clients will when clients work with me, especially if they're working with me for like a twelve month period. Some some of them will like fly over from interstate or overseas, and I'll go cool. Before they come, I'll say bring your walking shoes or bring running shoes, or whatever. And then when they get there, I'm like, cool, let's go for a walk because I'm going to sit there and go, cool. So tell me about the problem. Tell me about your life. Tell me about when this has all happened. Why not do that over an hour walk versus sitting in an office with it's stuffy, you're sort of stuck in a position. You're going to be, it's going to be easy to get that flow out of you. So move. That's, that's simple. Then, you know, sleep, super important. You've got nutrition as well. I think people overcomplicate nutrition, you know, get it, get it. I always go back to the Pareto's principle, right? The 80-20 principle. Like if you can get, if you can do the 20% that gives you 80% of results, you'll crush it and you'll do better than like 90% of the population. 
Whereas I think people overcomplicate the shit out of it and they're like, I don't know, should I do like, should I be doing paleo or should I be doing vegan or like I'm trying this stuff and I'm just like, do do the thing that's going that you're going to be able to do for a 20-year period versus the thing that's going to be cool for the next six months. And then start from there and then work backwards and start fine-tuning things. And then you can go get your blood tests. Like we've just got um uh we've just gone gone and got a heap of tests, like you know, genetic testing and all that stuff, because I want to learn more about my body. Yeah. So then you can go and get checked, like what foods work for you and all this stuff and all your intolerances. But I mean, if you're not getting the basics right, then you're just going to waste a heap of money. The same as like people drinking alkaline water and shit, breathing alkalizes us. So if, you, if you're breathing properly, you don't need alkaline water. Although I do have it today because it was the only one at the airport. <laughs> but um, you don't need that shit, right? Because yeah, yeah. your breathing does it. And if your body's too alkaline, you get alkalosis. If it's too acidic, you get acidosis. So your body has this very finely tuned ability to keep the acid and alkaline balance right, and it does it through breathing. So, oops. it's a sign it's been a long podcast. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, um, it's all good. But um, yeah, so you if you catch yourself holding your breath through the day, it's because you're trying to get more acidic, and if you're breathing deeper, it's because you're trying to get more alkaline. So your body does it naturally. So yeah, just keep things simple. Yeah, well, that's the cue that something else is about to happen. Um, yeah. But again, this literally could speak to you for another four hours, but. We'll have to leave it there. What's, what's, where's the best place for people to find you again? Your Instagram is a great resource. Your website is a great resource. Where, where can people find you to get all this information? (laughs) You're going to have to cut that bit out. Now, um, look, the best place, um, I, if you just Google Michael Mojo, it'll come up. Um, but there's our website. Um, I think we're about to change the the domain name anyway, but either look up, uh, Mojo human performance institute.com. That's, that's the business, uh, the mojo master.com, uh, dot au. Um, you can Google Michael Mojo double zero, uh, on any social media platform apart from Instagram. Cause some prick hacked us on that account. No way. So we had to change the zeros and the O's around, but now, you know, it makes it a bit harder, but, um, yeah, you can find me, you'll find me anywhere. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get people who say that, that all the time. They're like, Oh, I don't know where to look, where to find you. And I'm like, you just type in yeah. like literally what's your resourcefulness <laughs> yeah. these days? Like you can find anything you want about someone. We'll, so, we'll yeah. put all your links um, in the show notes as well for anyone interested in finding out more and, and learning more about any of the many topics we spoke about today. I had more that we didn't even get a chance to go to. So <laughs> I have to do a part two one day down the line, but Love thanks it. so much for giving us your time and enjoy the rest of your, your weekend in Sydney. Awesome. Thank you for having Cheers. me. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.